They said it wasn't humanly possible. All the power and excitement of Nintendo right in the palm of your hand. Introducing Game Boy. It's portable, it's in stereo, and its games are interchangeable. Game Boy comes complete with batteries and the outrageous new game, Tetris. And for head-to-head -head competition, use Video Link and blow your opponent away. Game Boy, only from Nintendo. Now you're playing with power, portable power. Hello everybody and welcome to the third of our single format console special podcasts with Kane and Rince. This is the Game Boy Show, the Nintendo Game Boy, as if there was any other version. But specifically, we're talking about the original black and white model. Uh, we did have a conversation. We were asked if we were going to go on through the Game Boy series. But the way I see it, this was its own machine. It took it was around for nine years before the color version came along. That has its own library of games that we may cover some point in the future. And then the Advance is very much a, a whole new machine again. So I thought we'd stick with the, the original and the pocket version, which we'll talk about, and a couple of other variations, as it were. But now you are playing with power. Portable power. Yes. Canerince.com is the place to go for the schedule. I'm not sure which order we're doing things, but if not out now, imminently, the schedule for the next year's podcasts 2019's podcast will be up there all 50 shows six of them you know because we're continuing our final fantasy series but we're skipping the mmos but the rest will be there for your well anticipation and excitement very soon canorince.com as i say if you are listening to this in now this confuses me uh, if you're listening to this in march or april yeah april um, there's already another one of these out and it means you're probably not a Patreon subscriber. So if you want to hear the next one of these shows, which is about Xbox, the original Xbox, you need to sign up to the Patreon, join up for a dollar a month or more, 79p or 0.87 of a euro, patreon.com slash rinse. Plus you get extended regular podcasts and an exclusive monthly podcast with Jay and I answering questions and talking about what we've been playing and all that kind of stuff. So uh, your support would be gratefully received. We also have two other podcasts, Sound of Play on Wednesdays and The Sausage Factory on Fridays. All of our shows are a good time. Subscribe, review and rate wherever you get your podcasts from, please. And follow us on social media because that's helpful too. And fun Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Now joining me, Leon Cox, in this Game Boy podcast are James Carter. Hello. And Leah Haydu. Hi, hi. No, no, uh, no verbal impressions of the Game Boy in this. <laughs> I mean, I could probably make like a mm, nice ding. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like kind, a, that's kind of the noise that it made. But that, I think that's only Nintendo cartridges, isn't it? Because does it do that on any game you launch? I think so. Uh, as oh. as far as I know, it does. Uh, there might be a different like load screen when when yeah. you are loading up a Nintendo game like after that. But I'm pretty sure that the the initial little kind of scroll down from it scrolled down from the top. Uh, right. I, I think that was always the same. To if my you don't put a anyway. cartridge in at all, you just get a blank screen, don't you? I, I believe so. Yeah. So there's not because with our previous uh, with a PlayStation podcast, we got to talk a little bit about like the UI because it was mm -hmm. one of the earlier consoles that actually had, albeit very simple and rudimentary, you had a place you could go and look at memory cards mm -hmm. and you had a CD player. <laughs> uh, the Mega Drive is much like this one. Older consoles basically turn them on with something in, you get something, turn them on with nothing in, you get a blank screen and that's it. There's no... No memory management, no system updates, no firmware patches, no 
audio yep. settings, all that malarkey. This is just your little your little Game Boy. That's it. Oh, you can just your Game Boy and all eighteen AA batteries that it took. Yeah, and you can tune the you can uh, turn the contrast to completely invisible dark to completely invisible light as well, which was always <laughs> a handy feature. Uh, it you can only see what you're doing in the middle, as I recall. Anyway, this came out this console almost thirty years ago Ooh. in Japan, April the twenty first, nineteen eighty nine. It was uh, two, uh, 12,000, sorry, 12,500 yen uh, would currently equate to about 15,000 yen. And it immediately sold out its initial run of 300,000 units. That's according to Keith Stewart in The Guardian. We'll be referring back to an article he put together some time ago. Now, the North American release was July 1989, just a few months down the line. And the, the launch price was 89.99, which seems pretty decent. Uh, under a hundred bucks, but actually adjusted for inflation, that's one hundred and eighty-three dollars in today's money. So, although that's still like a hundred dollars cheaper than a Switch, it was not a. It wasn't exactly a pocket money purchase for a pocket machine, was it? No, but I think that it it about would track, uh, considering the launch prices of like Nintendo's more recent handheld consoles. Like I, I want to say yeah. the um. The 3DS launched at around, well, they dropped very quickly after it launched, mm. but it launched around 180, wasn't it? I, I believe. Mm. Something yeah, something to that effect. And the, the yes, same thing yeah. for uh, the Vita was even a little bit more than that. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that that I it's, it is a lot. It's, it makes me wonder how my parents really pulled that t- together. Um, but yeah. um, but yeah. yes, I, uh, I think that that. That doesn't really surprise me so much. It was a lot cheaper than its competitors, which no doubt yeah. we'll mention once or twice throughout mm. the show. The the Lynx and the Game Gear both around at, uh, I think they both arrived slightly later, but they were certainly on the way at this point and they were colour. Obviously, battery life was considerably less. They were larger and heavier and much more expensive. I think the Lynx was something like 290 when it launched, Oof. something like that. Uh, so, yeah. The EU launch price is actually a mystery. Now, I probably have got things which I could dig out in somewhere in my archives which would actually have an advert for the machine. But genuinely, uh, I looked on a Eurogamer article which says, uh, and and a a console price wiki, which just says, European launch price for Game Boy unknown. (laughs) So my memory says that it was at least £99.99, and I think it was more like £110 or even £120. James, do you have any memory of this at all? It's, a, it's 1990, we're talking September. Uh, I was uh, eight and was uh, hoping, so? that, hoping <laughs> that Santa Claus would uh, bring me this. So, uh, yeah. no, at, at that point, did I still believe in Santa? Eight? So, I, on the cusp. That's a heck of a spoiler to drop in a podcast without saying, isn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Santa may or may not be real, folks. Um, wait, wait, well. wait, wait, back up. I'm sorry. Like, g- like g- all the other b- believe- mythical figures wait, uh, <laughs> we associate with Christmas. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, uh, for the life of me, I can't think how much this would have been. No. I, I, I'm guessing my parents might well know um, yeah. as they sent the money off. They probably to Santa, kept the receipt. <laughs> Well, we've certainly kept the the Game Boy. Uh, still have that oh, original fantastic. one. Fantastic! Um, oh, that's uh, awesome. At my parents' house. So yeah. 
I nice. think it... that my parents might also have mine. I, I gave it to my sister at some point, uh, mm. who is much younger than I am. Uh, and I don't think that they got rid of it or anything. I just, I'm not sure yeah. where it is, but my mother never gets rid of anything. So it's probably in the attic somewhere. <laughs> um, if I Powering the... I have a the... Game Boy that is in my, my possession, but it is not my Game Boy. My Game Boy is somewhere else. I like to think they're doing home accounting on it or powering the. That, I mean, maybe they they might have one of those printers hooked up to it to uh, yes. you know, just little little family shots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more of which later. Yes, uh, the lifetime sales of the unit was well. Again, we don't actually know because the only official figures released are lumped together with the Game Boy Color, which I think is unfortunate because it means we don't have a clear idea but 119 million units between the game boy and the game boy color i would i would think that the color was only responsible for at maximum one third of those sales if yeah, that yeah that was, that was my feeling as well i can't imagine it's uh, much anything more than that and i wouldn't be surprised it wasn't around it was for long enough less. as much yeah, yeah, yeah exactly it wasn't around for very long no. the buzz around it was not i mean people were it was cool people were excited because it had oh, taken absolutely. 10 years almost for that to arrive but we were already very used to the idea of color handhelds and and this one was only around for 3 years until the GBA arrived so yeah, yeah it just can't have it can't have sold it can't have contributed more than yeah a third maximum i would yeah. i would guess i, I, I know a lot of people who had game boys a lot of people that had game boy advances I don't know that many people at all who had Game Boy Colors. True, I only know yeah. one. Yeah. I, the, the way I kind of think of it, and this might not be entirely accurate, but um, when they did the um, the revision of the DS that was uh, that got rid of the Game Boy slot, uh, mm -hmm. but yeah. but was the not DSi. yet the three, but was not yet the three. No, it was the one mm. after the, the DSi, the DSi. Yeah, uh, that's right. You know, it there were a few kind of exclusive games to the dsi but most yeah. of it was just if you wanted a new ds this was kind of the new ds yeah. um I, I kind of think of it Had in a, a similar way uh, i mean there were more game boy color exclusive games than there were dsi exclusive games but yes. at the same time if you were playing a lot of things on that console most of what you were probably playing was mm -hmm. regular game boy games that were being upscaled or had color uh, added after the fact colorized um, yeah. i guess yes, would be the term exactly there were some indeed there were some cross-compatible games mm -hmm. we'll if we ever do come back to the game boy color which is not impossible in this series of console shows we will we, yeah we'll cover all that stuff but uh yeah just to cement that we are covering the just the original the original and the revision of that which was the pocket uh quiet paul is the first contributor to this show from the forum Quiet Paul says, the original Game Boy always reminds me of a holiday I had when I was younger. It was in Tenerife with my parents, brothers and my gran. One of the last real positive memories of my gran. I owned a Game Boy but rarely played it. Since we were now abroad with no TV-based gaming platform, the Game Boy would have to do. I played the crap out of Pokemon Blue and fell in love on that holiday with the franchise. My dad even managed to nab a bootleg camcorder in a cinema VHS copy of the Pokemon movie from some other Scottish guy in Tenerife. <laughs> Hours of sunny Spanish fun passing me by as I was nose deep in becoming a Pokemon master. Fighting more with the lighting though so I could see the screen 
past the glare. I still remember my gran talking to me about the game and hilariously attempting to play the game at one point. She eventually convinced me to put the Game Boy away and have some fun in the pool before the holiday was finished. I always took her advice as she taught me many other things, such as tying my own shoelaces, which I appreciate as I'd otherwise be stumbling around to this day. I remember putting the Game Boy away and jumping in the pool and pretending to be a water Pokemon. I'd arise from the splash waves and fire a stream of water from my mouth that's firing a stream of water from my mouth that's spitting, <laughs> removing, <laughs> removing hit points from my mum and, and, and her mum's life bars. Essentially, I thrashed around for a minute, stood up and spat on my family, as you do. Sorry, <laughs> I preempted your joke there. Quiet, Paul. Uh, so my first real go with an original Game Boy was on this holiday and just the words Game Boy bring back memories of that time. A happy memory with my grandmother who passed away not, to, uh, not too long after. I went on to make some good friends in school playing Pokemon, aiming to achieve all 150, till someone who had attended some special event somewhere came in with a Mew. I was jealous. She let me borrow the Mew for a weekend, though, so that was nice of her. I never did get all 150, but I got close, made some good friends at the time, and made a few memories with my gran. The Game Boy is not currently in my game collection anymore. Might have to change that and sling a bunch of the other titles I used to own in there nostalgia thank you quiet paul for some game boy memories a few more dotted throughout the uh, the show here but uh, let's hear about how and when we got hold of our game boys and what our sort of yeah it's that well leah you you say you've still the original that you had is still possibly in the family it probably to play? is i i would imagine yeah so it would be you're not on it every day though oh it would it would be about 30 years old now um gosh older than my sister um so (laughs) yeah i this this actually uh has has solved a question that i had in my head um as to whether i got the game boy for my birthday or for uh christmas and -hmm. it must have been for christmas because i was eight in 1989 but my birthday is in february so uh it Uh... would uh it would have been for christmas the year that the game boy came out uh and i it's funny because I, in in preparation for this show, I, I um, looked at a list of Game Boy games, and and even just over the course of being with Kane and Rince and becoming you know kind of more into video games myself in in more recent years, I think that I missed a lot of the big games uh, in mm-hmm. in the Game Boy, but it's still really one of my most, uh, probably one of my most influential platforms because it was really the first gaming platform that I owned. Um, I never had an original Nintendo, and I got a Sega Genesis, but I didn't get it for a little while after this. My parents were not super into the idea of having something on their TV. So yeah. I uh, they, they bought me the Game Boy, and um, <laughs> I just remember most of the games that I would get, because I was a dumb kid, would be things like, um, you know, that had a, a big cartoon character on the front and that I, you know, was was not necessarily so worried about what the game po- the gameplay was like uh, mm. as long as it was uh, something that I could get my grandparents or my parents to, you know, get me when we were out doing shopping or whatever. So um, yeah. I, I never had a Pokemon game. I never, uh, well, not on the Game Boy anyway, but uh, I never played... Um, the any of the Zelda games that were on the Game Boy until much later. Uh, so yeah, it's it's funny that um, I think a lot of the pivotal memories that I associate with it 
probably are going to be different from what many other people would say were kind of the big things about the Game Boy for them. Um, but I do remember one that I think a lot of people will share, and I'm sure we'll go into this, um, was I remember playing so much Tetris. So, so much Tetris, because that was the pack-in um, for the edition that I got. I don't know whether, I'm sure yeah. they probably put out um, various pack-ins with it over time, but this is back when they still did pack-ins as a rule. So, uh, yes. so yes, I uh, played a lot of Tetris, and I think that I also got um, Super Mario Land for Christmas that year, so that I had you know, the, the two games, yes. So uh, yeah. that that is one of the big ones that I definitely did have, and I definitely did spend a lot of time with. Um, mm. So those are those are pretty much my big ones. Um, but what I I think what I remember the most about uh, the the original Game Boy was when I was younger, uh, and actually still, uh, situation has changed a little bit. But when I was younger, um, we would take trips to go see my grandparents and most of the rest of my family live uh, in West Virginia, even still. And I live up in the Philadelphia area. So it's about an eight hour drive. And, you know, we would do that a couple of times a year, usually like summer, Christmas, sometimes Thanksgiving, you know, and that's, that's a long time to stick an eight year old in a car. Um, so, you know, I, I would read, but I also would play a, a lot of Game Boy once I got that. So that's, the, I associate that pretty, pretty much, uh, not exclusively, but a, a lot with, uh, with being in the car and um, yeah. waiting for it to get light enough if we left really early in the morning because, you know, there was no backlight. There was, you couldn't see anything until it was pretty light because that, that screen was not great for, uh, for lighting purposes. <laughs> Uh, and I know I don't think I ever had they they had uh, kind of a magnifying light thing that you clip onto the top of it. Oh, really? I don't think that I ever had one of those, but no. um, it as I recall, they were kind of big and bulky, um, mm -hmm. which the Game Boy itself was also kind of big and bulky. Um, but yeah. uh, but yes, I I remember a lot of squinting at the screen in the car when it was probably too dark for me to be playing, which mm -hmm. uh, may may contribute a little bit to why my eyes are so bad now. But um, mm -hmm. wouldn't trade it. <laughs> wouldn't trade it though. Yeah. So do you remember when your Game Boy kind of went, drifted out of circulation? Did you get another handheld, one of the next generation um, handhelds, a color one, a Game Boy Color, or was it GBA or DS even? Did it, well, did you use I, it for a long Well, I bought time? myself a DS, I think in college probably, but I, I, I know that I played it for quite a while. Um, mm. I, I don't think that I really did much with handhelds there for a while. Um, I, mm. I got, like I said, I got a um, Sega Genesis from my parents. Um, I don't know, maybe a year or two after that, and um, had that, I had a, um, uh, well, I guess after that, I didn't really get any other consoles until I was kind of living on my own, so I probably, I had a Game Boy Advance, so I would say that's probably the next thing that I had, yeah. um, mm. and I don't think that that was at launch, I don't, I don't have as strong memories about that, but I, mm. I think that would have been the next handheld that I really yeah. spent any time with. for a lot of people. That, yeah, that possibly the case. As well. I know I never had a Game yeah. Boy Color. That was that was not my uh, right. not my thing. Yeah, they were cute and purple though. Or they were yes, they, they could they could be. That's <laughs> yeah. Uh, James, how about you? A happy Christmas uh, or birthday yeah, memory or anything yeah. like that? Um, I'm pretty sure it was. If it wasn't back to back Christmases, it certainly felt like back to back Christmases. Um, <laughs> yeah. I got um a Game Boy and then a Super Nintendo. Um, 
And yeah, as Leah said, it was a Tetris packing, um, as they all were at launch. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, very fond memories of playing loads of Tetris, um, amongst other games that, you know, we'll get onto and discuss. But thinking back on it, as I have been today and over kind of the, the run, in, run up to this, this podcast, I think of my Super Nintendo as almost exclusively, it wasn't, but almost exclusively a Street Fighter um, machine. Whereas <laughs> with the Game Boy, I was looking through the complete list of games, over a thousand of them in total, I think. Um, 700, I look I Oh, beg your pardon. 700 Where, plus. Why did I think that might be? Uh, maybe, maybe I Japan got the wrong exclusive figure. stuff or uh, it could yeah, be something okay. like that. Anyway, um, it's but, uh, yeah, but, but it's anyway, seven hundred. <laughs> yeah, I certainly didn't play many of them. Uh, certainly, uh, it it would be double figures, but not that much above double figures. Mm. But yeah. I've got such uh, much more vivid memories of time spent with the Game Boy uh, and and sort of different games in an era where. It was literally just, what does the cover art look like? That looks cool. That title sounds cool. I'll just mm-hmm. grab that. So if any of the games I played are thought of as good, it's literally dumb luck. There's nothing else <laughs> to it than that. I probably did get my hands on a few gaming magazines around that time, but it yeah. was, again, just I wanted to see the pictures and see what was going on in video games i wasn't worried about whether something was going to be winning game of the year or whether it was considered just um a lazy port of a different title or whatever um and honestly it did not matter to me some of these games that uh that i'm looking back on fondly i honestly don't know if i ever finished them some of them i mm-hmm. quite possibly never got past the first level but i was yes, more than yeah. happy just playing replaying play you know over and over again uh didn't matter to me whether i was winning losing living dying uh getting a new high score or anything it was just play play the the i can't express the novelty of having something not in your pocket because i was an eight-year-old kid i didn't have pockets big enough for a game boy i don't think i do now even in a pair of carried it slung over your back with straps (laughs) (laughs) um but but i do I do remember um, getting a carry case for it. Um, I remember it was a shoulder strap type thing. It was a big puffy sort of padded thing, so I didn't want it to break. And uh, to this day, the first thing I buy for any handheld I get is a carry case for it. And Mm -hmm. the Game Boy set the tone for that. Um, I wanted to take it with me. I wanted, if we were going on a car journey, as you said, Leah, um, we every Christmas would go down from um middle of Scotland down to Newcastle in the north of England, um, where my mum and dad are both from. Um and yeah, I, I would have my Game Boy with me and play something on that. And hopefully it was light enough to be able to see it because yeah, this wasn't a backlit screen. <laughs> um but um yeah, it it's just such uh strong memories of that machine. Before that I do remember having uh Tiger Electronic uh lcd yes. handheld of double dragon um yes. and as soon as i got a game boy uh didn't even need to have double dragon on it although i did get it um mm-hmm. i i didn't touch that again because it was just something i mean the, so th- to go from something where you can see little sheets of film that have the background on them so that yeah. it kind of adds to the atmosphere of what you're playing but mm-hmm. that's th- that's what we're talking about here it's and it's night and day to look at a Game Boy and see something that simplistic. Now, uh, mm. it looks like how could gaming be that simple? But for the time, it was so much more 
than anything I'd ever seen. Um, yeah. You know, it, it was uh, it was incredible compared to anything I'd seen before. Um, mm. And I don't remember playing it much past, say, 96, but it wasn't because mm. I moved on to a different handheld. It was just because I didn't take it with me anymore you know when i was going somewhere at sort of 14 yeah. 15 years old uh the game boy would have been you know uh, a good number of years old by then wasn't picking up new games um and and kind of had had moved on to taking a uh you know a portable music player and magazine with me if i, if I know you james you were probably too busy uh shouting lewd comments at women smoking <laughs> cigarettes uh yeah, that, starting that fights and right. stuff stuff like that yeah uh, absolutely yes. No, I was far too busy swimming and doing schoolwork. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So, uh, but but I remember uh, being almost inseparable from my Game Boy. And uh, it's funny you should mention the sort of uh, swankier, more expensive color handhelds that were competitors mm. and came afterwards. Because um, I remember actually feeling quite smug the first time I ever played a Game Gear, which was. I didn't go to a childminder after school. My mum was able to pick us up. I was lucky in that way. But one day in particular, uh, I did. My mum wasn't able to pick me up. So after school, I went round the corner with my best friend to the childminder he went to. Um, and the um, kid who was there, whose mum was the childminder, had mm. um, was in the year above us at primary school. And he just got a Game Gear, and I was incredibly excited to see this thing. And it yeah. was it was handed to me as, don't pull on the cord because it was obviously corded into the wall to power it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Don't pull it too much, or you'll break it. If you break it, you're gonna mm. have to pay for it. And my best friend trying to reassure this guy, who obviously he knew far better than I did, that I would be careful with it and everything. And as I sat yeah. there holding it, thinking. Do I really have to be like I was literally terrified? It yeah. made me feel so terrified that I was going to break this thing. And it's not a, a flimsy piece of equipment by no, any stretch of the imagination. But Game Boys were tough, weren't they? They were they were durable. Absolutely. They were designed yeah. to be chucked about. I yeah. never and I, all right, I was a fairly careful kid, but I yeah. never had to worry about whether or not someone holding my Game Boy in the wrong way was going to mm. break it. And yet that was the that was and yes. and it was a kid being over over cautious and i think the price comes into that as well oh, because sure. obviously sure. You, you don't want yeah. to have to replace yeah. a hundred pound handheld but it feels slightly less terrifying than a 200 pound handheld yeah uh, I, I still have that with switch today a yeah, 300 pound handheld <laughs> and you do handle them a little bit like at least when you first get them in the same way as you do when you get a new smartphone or whatever you treat it like the most uh, precious sugar crystal diamond case <laughs> or something and yeah, yeah. Uh, and soon you get used to it I, I had a very similar experience with the um, with playing someone else's um, Game Gear. I, I it it must have been a cousin or maybe like yeah, one yeah, of my yeah. mom's friends' kids or you know somebody that I was not best friends with, but that you know I kind of peripherally knew. And I just remember sitting tethered to the wall because yeah. you know you, yeah, could, yeah. you could put batteries in those things, the, yeah, but yeah. I want to say that they took at least six batteries. Like they were six. they took a yeah. lot. It was six. Uh, six I know the game, I mean, the game Boy yeah. took four, which is a lot, but like these took yeah. more than that. So that was well, nuts. The, the but, life was. Much, oh yeah, much, and then the the half life on those things was oh, terrible. But um, yeah, yeah, I know I can remember thinking, oh man, this is so cool! Like it's in color and everything, and now you could it, see the screen you, in in yeah. different lights on yes, the game. Yes, it was, was a bad yes. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
Um, and you can play Sonic in color. But, yeah, I think so that's what I play. That's what I remember playing. Yeah, is, Sonic's I remember playing Sonic. I remember most yeah. Well. yeah. Um, and and my brother ended up getting a Game Gear, and I had a wonderful time with Sonic and Shinobi and all sorts of really cool stuff on that. Mm. But I always remember thinking, hang on. I have to change four AA batteries. It was like it lasted like thirty hours. It was it was a good like even by today's standards, it was pretty good battery life. Um, uh, and and the Game Gear was like maybe six tops. If that, if yeah, it, and it took six AA batteries. Absolutely. Yes. Um, yeah. So, I'm. This is not. Uh, isn't Game Boy wonderful at the expense of Links or Game Gear or anything? But I do remember the first time I held a Game Gear thinking. Uh, this is really cool, but actually, I'm really glad I've got a Game Boy because yeah. I don't and need also, to fret they about were, it as much. They were even more massive. I I had a, oh, yeah, a Lynx yeah. Two in my possession not so long ago. I was selling it for somebody, and even that, which was the re- refined, revised model, mm. was gigantic. It yeah, was yeah, screen to body large. ratio as well was pretty uh, yeah. damning. Whereas the Game Boy yes. kind of felt felt, felt like. I want to say the screen was probably not that much bigger than the Game Boy screen, like a little bit, Mm. but not a ton. And then the body was just gigantic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was like comedy 80s mobile phone. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty much, yes. That's good. Well, actually, I'm probably going to be the least kind of wistfully nostalgic about the Game Boy on this show. And I probably won't be as affectionate in my recollections as I was for the previous two podcasts on this not because I have anything against Game Boy and I was very keen to do this show it's a very interesting and relevant and significant machine but I was not really sold on it for quite a long time Mm. I remember I remember reading uh, some reviews I think when the I don't know if it was when the Japanese or the American version came out but CMVG covered the launch with a page a kind of mini roundup of reviews of Super Mario Land Tetris Alleyway and uh, I remember thinking, oh, neat. OK, it's a, you know, it's a game changing handheld console. But the fact that it had black and white or green and gray graphics and uh, yeah, sort of yellow, yellowy graphics yeah, um, yeah. Uh, did put me off. I got to admit, I was I guess, you know, I wouldn't consider myself a, you know, a graphics whore or anything. But color had always been a huge part of my love of gaming. That yeah. said, I had been completely hooked on my friend's double screen game and watch Donkey Kong game some <laughs> years earlier. So I did have that background of of thinking that actually this would be fun. My previous my my own handheld that I'd had before this was one of the Grandstand Tabletop Astro Wars, which was a yeah. kind of home LCD game based on uh, Galaxian Mooncrester type of s- scenario. And it was very cool. Uh, a lot of they're very collectible now. A lot of people still have a lot of fond memories. But it was again, it was multicolored. It had greens and yellows and reds. And although it was very simplistic, it had that that vibrancy of image that that really spoke to me. And also in 1989-90, I hadn't immersed myself in the world of Nintendo yet, not being an NES kid, but being a uh, being a computer, a, a UK-based computer gamer. Sure, yeah. I didn't have the Mario love. I think I had probably played Super Mario Brothers at the arcade by this point, but um, but the, the idea of a black and white sort of variant of it wasn't enough again. Didn't Probably didn't have the money. I just getting a Mega Drive around this time, and I had an Amiga, and so the Game Boy just seemed a bit kind of retro a bit basic and also i was at this point 18 years old and i was going around smoking and drinking and doing all this (laughs) stuff so uh, i didn't yeah i didn't particularly feel the need to have a game boy with me um when i was you know just 
mooching from one park to another. Yeah, uh, I, I, do, I was going to say, yeah, I do think that that probably had a, a, an impact just because, I mean, James and I are the same age, but you're a yeah. little bit older than us. And I think yeah. it, I think that, you know, hitting at like eight years old, that is just mm-hmm. an ideal time, oh, yeah. especially yeah, like absolutely. for me, you know, I had I had never had a console before. This was the first one. So My having this be something that just got me into it that that's you know a huge thing it and you know just um kind of worming its way into uh into my memories sure and of course the the demographic was uh was was such that uh you know we'll talk about how it's known that the the console ended up with a higher female uh player ratio than previous consoles but also the games of those 700 to a thousand games whatever they were they there weren't many kind of 18 rated you know oh, no. sort of adults only <laughs> games it was very it was very much skewed towards uh, the family friendly end of things nintendo were very much like that back in the day so not that i would have had anything against that and this was an era that i was still very much going to the arcades and playing cutesy platformers and and whatever else and don't get me wrong i was in love with tetris i'd played it on the computers and the idea of a portable version of tetris was very appealing but it mm. wasn't you know, I was, no, it's, it's I was not 18 enough. Years. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I had a job at this point, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't yeah. earning huge amounts of money, and my game, my my games money was going on Amiga and Mega Drive games. So, yeah. So, in fact, it took me until after I'd got uh, a Super Nintendo, and possibly even it was possibly around the same time as I got my Saturn. It was after I got a PlayStation that I got a Game Boy Pocket when they launched that. Yeah. The the clearest screen, the smaller size, the better battery uh, demands, and all that. Plus the fact that at this point, at age twenty four, whatever I was, I had a job where basically I was minding a shop, uh, a food shop, oh, in, yeah. Yeah, for long afternoons. And of course, my boss said, "Time to lean, time to clean." But uh, oh, yes. actually, <laughs> glad to t- know that that's a, that's an expression <laughs> over there too. Sure oh. is. But of course, time to lean, time to play uh, panel upon, you know, whatever Tetris Attack to you to to <laughs> Western gamers, um, and Super Mario Land and Zelda and whatever else. And so yeah, I had a bit more disposable income, and I had time to kill. So yeah, that was when I I got my Game Boy yeah. Pocket, and uh, yeah, uh, latterly. And obviously since then, I didn't actually have it that long. Um, unusually for a Nintendo device, it actually started malfunctioning, just kept turning oh. itself off, <laughs> which was uh, I think yeah one of the few malfunctioning nintendo device i've ever had but mm. uh yeah so i ended up uh i can't remember what i what i did I, I think i just waited until the i think i just had a gap between that and the the gba sp yeah. yeah but um so yeah it was a brief love affair but since then i've caught up with some of the games on virtual console mm. uh, i do like playing black and white game Boy games on my 3ds i'm mm. very perfectly happy to do that yeah, yeah, uh, yeah i don't have the the biggest extensive experience of the of the library but you know i know i know some of the key texts and i'm looking forward to hearing really about you guys and what what you were playing other than uh and including the the famous games of the uh mm. of the library okay. so because um, i've got I, I, some weird ones in there <laughs> good 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 that's perfect um, yeah. i was gonna ask actually do you think at 18 the fact that it was called game boy Mm-hmm. made a difference because it's not just yeah. the game selection that's on there um yeah. that made it kiddie that is a yeah a kid-centric name and it's a male-centric name is the other thing that to say that yeah. it had a, a it big probably wouldn't be called that now no yeah. absolutely not no it, that would be seen to be ex- exclusionary in a way that clearly it didn't seem to make a difference and i guess leah you don't 
well, let's not put words in your mouth. Did it make a difference to you? <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, I, I, I don't think I ever really thought about it, and I doubt my parents did either. But I was, I wouldn't say I was exactly a tomboy, but I, mm. I, I did hang around. I had more boys as friends than I did girls as friends. Uh, around that age, I think. I mean, I had this girls age. as friends. Come on, Leah. Well, you know what? On you're not wrong. <laughs> you are really not. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I I was I have <laughs> uh, I have some vivid memories of um, you know as as we were playing. Listen, you always need one girl because you know you need if you're playing Ninja Turtles, you need to have the April O'Neil. If you're playing Mario Brothers, you need to have the princess. So that was always me. I had like a role in that group, and uh, and yeah. So I I I don't think I ever even really thought about it to be honest. Hmm. I'm sure some people if, did, but not. Yeah, it just wasn't no, big for me personally. It wasn't a big deal, and gaming was still, although yeah, although the actually ironically, the Game Boy helped change the perception yeah. of gaming being a very male pursuit. It did have the boy in the title. Yeah. Um. To answer your question, I don't know. Probably not massively. I no. don't think that was a major factor. But Game Gear, um, probably sounded in that way that Sega was at that point trying a bit too hard to be cool. But, uh, <laughs> but oh, as, as I say, I think did. the thing. Yeah. Exactly, but I think the things that stopped me getting a Game Gear were probably more the expense and battery life, yeah. Yeah. and the thought of buying cartridges for yet another machine. And I don't think it had the biggest. I mean, it had some like all consoles. It had some reasons to buy it, but perhaps not quite compelling enough. Um, and again, also, you know, we should talk about the cost of cartridges. Game Boy games weren't super cheap either. Yeah. Like they, they maybe were slightly cheaper than uh, Super Nintendo cartridges, but they weren't. They weren't cheap. They weren't budget priced. These were cartridge games in a box. They tended to be around, I think Pokemon games were like 40 quid. I think others tended to be 20, um, 29 to 35, something like that. So again, adjusted for inflation, you're looking at basically, you know, 40, 50, 60 quid games. Yeah, I want. I want to say that I remember them, and I didn't buy a whole lot of them for myself. Again, it was no. mostly my grandparents or my parents. But I want to say that I remember most of them being somewhere between like thirty and forty dollars. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And did did you have rentals as well? For Game I Boy never games did. I believe that you could. Um, mm. I yeah. I, I I don't remember ever doing it myself. Um, but I I know that at the time, you know, it would have been, uh, Blockbuster mostly. Uh, had rentals for uh sega genesis and for um uh nintendo and super nintendo so they mm. probably also had some game boy games uh i just i don't recall do you think that the name game boy was a sort of allusion to a reference to the sony walkman disc man if that mm. was there by then Is i don't that, think the disc man a... would have been there by then well disc maybe man wouldn't. walkman definitely would have been yeah walkman definitely yeah. yes uh, yeah. walkman was around since the 70s uh, maybe yeah. it's yeah it's possible Hmm. Uh, so yeah, the Game & Watch was effectively the predecessor to the Game Boy. There were 59 Game & Watch games, uh, which sold in total over 40 million units. If you go to Japan now and go to a game store, you'll find lots of very neatly, and in fact some some of the few remaining UK and probably American as well, independent retro stores you'll find uh, neatly kept and, and well looked after mm. Game & Watches. Uh, there were a lot of them around, but obviously they are, yes, limited to the game that you're buying, the one that's supplied in uh, in chip form on there. And yeah, they tended to be very simplistically animated. And, and, uh, and of course, later on, we got the GBA versions of those games. Uh, and you still see references to them in things like Smash Brothers to this day. But uh, Gunpei Yokoi was the 
the sort of the the main man behind those and it was he who went on to sort of be the founding father of the Game Boy as well. Uh, it's worth saying the Game Boy was not the first handheld games machine with interchangeable cartridges. This is uh, from The Guardian. That was the Microvision, released in 1979 and uh, described as a programmable electronic game system by uh, Milton Bradley, the toy manufacturer who made it. The console itself was just a container with a small screen. Each game cart had its own central processor and memory chip. So it's a slightly different setup, effectively. Mm. Uh, and the machine was bundled with a clone of the classic Atari game, the Steve Wozniak game, brick-breaking uh, game, Breakout. Only this was called Blockbuster. And, of course, 10 years later, one of the Game Boy launch titles was Alleyway, which was also a Breakout clone. Ah, I did. I did have Alleyway. That is another one yeah. that I spent a lot of time with. I don't think I had that one right away, mm. uh, despite it being there at launch. I think that I got it a little bit later. But yes, I, I recall spending a lot of time playing Alleyway. If you go into one of those aforementioned independent retro game stores and they've got a little basket on the counter or box of unboxed Game Boy cartridges, you'll always find an Alleyway in there. That's the <laughs> law. Uh, it's almost as ubiquitous as Tunnel B1 on the PlayStation. Blew my mind uh, when later I realized that the little paddle was actually supposed to be a little spaceship with Mario in it. So you yeah. Can, yeah. Yeah, Mario crops up in virtually every Game Boy Pretty game. Pretty much, uh, yes. In some way, shape, or form. Uh, any that Nintendo had any had their hands on at any point, anyway. So yeah, uh, Gunpo Yokoi had become uh, one of the best-known employees of Nintendo. This is according to the Game Boy Wiki, having created various inventions, including that Game & Watch series, as well as Metroid and various knickknacks before Nintendo ventured into video games. Wanting to combine the success of the Game & Watch and the NES, Yokoi imagined the Game Boy. In 87, Gunpo Yokoi approached President Hiroshi Yamauchi, the uh, formidable Hiroshi Yamauchi, mm -hmm. you remember his photo from the magazines back in the day. <laughs> he looked terrifying and showed him a prototype that he and his team had created. Yamauchi, uh, impressed by the prototype, speculated the system would sell 25 million in three years. Across the pond, Minoru Arakawa, the Nintendo of America president, said he thought they could push 100 million units. Arakawa knew that it would take more than Mario and The Legend of Zelda to accomplish this goal and he remembered back to a game he experienced in July 1988, Tetris. And the internal code name for the Game Boy was Dot Matrix Game, which uh, its initials came to be fe uh, featured on the final product's model number, DMG01. Not damage, but Dot Matrix Game. The internal reception of the device was apparently initially very poor. The DMG even earned from Nintendo employees the derogatory nickname of Damegame or Dame Game, Dame Game. I'm not sure. D uh, Dame being the Japanese for hopeless or lame. <laughs> so they were calling it the Lame Boy, effectively. <laughs> uh, I, that shouldn't be as funny as I think. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but they finished it regardless, and uh, yeah, it went on to do all right for them. So it's got a custom CPU of uh, which is an 8-bit sharp processor running at 4.19 megahertz. That's not very fast by today's standards. It wasn't that fast by then standards. Uh, 8K of RAM. No, not 8 megs. <laughs> not 8 terra. 8K uh, of internal SRAM, which could be extended up to 32K. I don't know if that's implying that some of the cartridges did that i'm not sure uh 8k of video ram uh 
some stuff uh, well the roms basically were yeah could come in various sizes uh the cartridges 256k all the way up to eight megabit i think that is so four megabytes i think uh two game boys could be linked together in fact uh, uh that's via the serial port up to four with the dmg 074 player adapter and 16 in maximum yeah uh six volt power four double a batteries approximately providing 15 hours of gameplay but as we know that would probably vary wildly depending on what game you were playing and how high the how how the contrast was turned up i don't know <laughs> um it was 90 millimeters wide 148 millimeters tall and 32 millimeters deep so it yeah it was it it seemed quite in 1989 1990 it felt like a pocket device but it yeah. wasn't really was it i mean it was a no, this no, you, no. you have to be, you have to think about the context of technology at the time how big mobile phones were yeah how i was big, gonna say the the yeah. the uh analogy that you made to uh to um uh large mobile phones earlier yeah. it seems dead on to me like it you look at it now and it's like oh my god this thing is huge i could mm -hmm. it's Chunky. like a brick i that's that's i we referred to it as the brick in later years um yes but uh yeah it it at the time it was like wow how is this all in this tiny little yeah. package it um size wise reminds me of uh the old sort of portable pocket tvs you could get the, yes. The, the, uh, I guess the cliche of people sitting, you know, at a wedding or a funeral or something, sort of pulling that out of their pocket. But those yeah. were never really pocket devices either. And it's kind of uh, that no. sort of form factor. Am I making this up? <laughs> I may be. Or is there some kind of receiver that you could get for the no, Game No, that was board? the Game Gear. The Game TV Gear. Ah, okay. Tuner, okay. The TV That's tuner, what I'm definitely. thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't somebody seem quite right for the Game Boy, but I remember somebody something. attempted. Maybe somebody attempted maybe, some kind of weird know. dot matrix TV receiver, but uh, no. That, yeah, the TV tuner for the Game Gear, which Game was Gear, uh, yes. quite expensive. And uh, yes. And uh, the not, Game not Gear. The best quality, and it probably made the batteries last about 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. And you needed a TV license, of course, yeah. in in the UK. So, um, yeah. Uh, so it weighed quarter of a kilo almost. I guess that with batteries in, it was like a quarter of a kilogram. Is that about right? Uh, yeah, I mean, twenty uh, grams. So it's, it sounds quite heavy, but you think I haven't held one for phones are often up to one hundred and fifty to one hundred and eighty grams now, depending upon their size. So it yeah, okay. actually, for its size, isn't all that dense. Mm. It's kind of light for it for its bulk, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's still a, a a reasonably heavy device do you did he can you remember did it get warm at all did it get in the either the battery compartment or just the back of it or just did it get hot from your hands but i i don't i don't feel like it was something that kicked no. out a lot of yeah no, i don't remember no, I, don't I don't remember so. it getting warm um i mm. have tiny sweaty hands um so <laughs> i probably yeah i've been having some She's issues lately with my controllers but um <laughs> i don't i don't really remember that being so much of an issue as we're all learning things about what i do remember today. well actually we'll, <laughs> we'll come on to what one thing i do remember about the game boy let's talk about the graphical display which had a mighty lcd reflective 160 by 144 pixels so it's on you that's not uh, it's, it's more square than four to three aspect ratio isn't yeah. it it's closer yeah, to yeah. being actually square yeah but not quite uh the frame rate could go up to 59.7 frames a second 
Yeah, 60 frames almost in your face. Uh, it it size... makes sense, but obviously that's not a frame rate as we would necessarily know it no. now. It's a refresh rate, isn't it? So Yeah, it didn't, and it didn't look like what we'd, yeah, uh, think of as 60 frames in that sense. No, um, no. Because of the, na the nature of the dot matrix screen and the motion sure. blur and all that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. Um, but it could run things speedily is the point. Games could run yeah, at yeah, a lick absolutely. and, they, yeah, <clears throat> you could have fast action games on them. Uh, the screen was uh, 66 millimeters or around 2.6 inches diagonal. I don't actually know what size screens things are now. Like I, I know some people obsess over this stuff and worry about the screen. I know obviously there's a current trend in non-Apple smartphones of the screen going round the, over the edge of the bezel kind of mm. thing and all this stuff. But uh, but I remember it being perfectly legible to my 18-year-old eyes. Maybe I'd struggle yeah. a bit more now. I don't yeah. know. Um, yeah, so uh, phone screens now on most sort of um, stand, sort of, I guess large size smartphones are like five to six inches. Yeah. Um, so it would be about half height of this kind of smaller end of that. Um, yeah. Would Would be roughly about the screen size, so... Um, uh, I'm, look, I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at some stats right now. Uh, it looks like the DS. Uh, actually, this is the DS Lite. This is the, the DS Lite screen was 3.8 inches. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So you know it's bigger, obviously, but not um, uh, not huge. Yeah. And the fact that it was lower resolution uh, meant yeah. that. Um, yeah, and the Vita the is was... five inches. It says. Yeah. 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 Uh. The color palette was two bit, four shades of quotes gray, <laughs> uh, light to very dark olive green. The audio is provided by two pulse wave generators, uh, one PCM four bit wave sample, sixty four four bit samples played in one six one times sixty four bank or two thirty two banks. Uh, that's in a channel. No, one noise generator and one audio input from the cartridge. The unit has only one speaker, but the headphone port output stereo sound yeah so do you remember playing did you tend to play with headphones you guys or did you uh, go with the tinny internal speaker i think i eventually got headphones because i a lot of the time i would be playing it like i said in the car with my my parents um but i honestly i remember before i got headphones for it just playing with the sound off a lot because i was usually mm -hmm. in a room with other people who probably didn't want to hear that <laughs> um, a, bit mad. a little yes but um i i think eventually yes i did get headphones for it uh yeah i, I definitely remember switching headphones between uh um off-brand walkman equivalent um and uh and, and my game boy yeah yeah nice so the design the look of the thing we've talked a little about the fact that it was chunky but obviously the controls are a huge part of it and the ergonomics uh, the game boy's main controls for playing games are located on the lower half of its front frame the game boy has four operation buttons labeled a b select and start as well as a cross-directional pad that would have been familiar to many from Game of Watches and uh, NESs, Famicoms. Yeah. Uh, there is a volume control dial on the right side of the console and a similar knob to adjust the contrast on the left. Uh, the sliding on-off switch as well as the slot for the cartridges located at the top. Uh, normally, users leave the cartridge in the system as recommended by Nintendo to prevent dust and dirt from entering the system. Oh, definitely. Yeah, history. I never <laughs> had my Game Boy without a cartridge in it. Absolutely not. Yeah, I can't um, remember that I ever did either. 
I never uh, really think about that. Most most of my handhelds don't have a cartridge in the system. I might be well. Most of the handhelds these days will have a. Um, I know cover, the Vita does, yeah, but they have over, like a yeah, little flap. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah switch those two. Yeah. Yeah. What I w- what I will say is the other reason for that is whenever I was taking my Game Boy with me, I wanted to make sure I had the maximum number of cartridges in my ah, yes. carry bag. <laughs> so I never had a plastic case for the game extra to put it into. So one stayed in the machine, and you always swapped yep. it out. Because uh, obviously they had the sort of white plastic, translucent plastic uh, mm-hmm. cases for the for the games to go into again to keep them dust free as well. Because uh, start starting <laughs> you, to blow on those, you know you're in trouble. You uh, you had mentioned James, you had mentioned before about mm. your about your case, and I I did not mention this at the beginning, but this is another uh, pretty strong memory that I actually have about my Game Boy. Is I had a case for mine as well uh, that I yep. didn't get mm. until uh, a little ways into when I had it, mm. and I got it. Uh, my my grandfather got it for me. We would often when I was visiting, he really liked going to um, like flea markets and um, you know secondhand uh, like antiquing type things and. We went to a uh, a large flea market type thing, and there was somebody there who had like kind of gaming things. And I had I don't I don't know where this came from. I don't know. I I don't think I've ever seen it for sale anywhere else. But it was a Game Boy case. It was hard plastic, and it was shaped like a Game Boy. So it was oh, like yeah. a big yeah, Game yes, Boy yeah. case with a handle on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And you know the inside, it was a pretty nice case. You know, it was very mm. well padded and everything. So if it's if it's floating around upstairs in the attic at my parents' house somewhere, that will be what it's in. <laughs> um, because yeah, that, absolutely. It was a pretty good case, but it had a lot of space for. Uh, for games so i i was very uh pleased with it uh in in terms of transportation no i i definitely had that one at one point as well because i remember you could (laughs) stack the games in their plastic cases Mm -hmm. like three deep or something i think it was you had to kind of stack Mm -hmm. them one on top of the other so if you wanted the one at the bottom you had to kind of flick the others up and out the way (laughs) to get to them yeah no i definitely remember that one and yeah it had uh, it was the same sort of gray plastic shell and it had uh the sort of maroon purplish uh writing on it i seem to remember uh yeah, uh, yeah. and it was raised lettering on it because i remember the paint started coming off uh, off that yeah no i, definitely <laughs> I thought that was that the coolest thing definitely uh, yeah yeah a game boy in your game boy as it yep. were. Um, <laughs> the um the cartridges weren't tiny either were they they were no, pretty no. pretty chunky things uh, obviously technology screen, again as you just kind yeah. of put it around the front and held it in front yeah i think that's right and yeah i suppose if i I don't have a Game Boy cartridge to hand, but I would imagine you could fit maybe six Switch cartridges across one. Yeah, yeah, so that that feels about right. Yeah, 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 yeah which is astonishing. I mean, small compared it. to a SNES cartridge or anything like sure. that, yeah. and and small compared, although obviously different uh, sort of form factor to a Game Gear one, but you know, um, small compared to those. So for a cartridge, it kind of felt small. But yeah, compared to the device, it's actually, you know, nowadays uh, the the cards you get. I mean, even on the Switch, they feel big compared to the, like the Vita cards, for example, mm-hmm. which were really more memory cards. Yeah, than, I'm always uh, afraid cards I'm gonna lose them. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, them totally. Or yeah, I had this conversation with my niece who got her Switch for Christmas. Be careful. Uh, I was as well as desperately trying to persuade her to um, taste one of them, and not swallow <laughs> it, uh, which she wouldn't That's do. That's just mean. <laughs> Uh, yeah, just like saying, I, I was I was on a plane some point last year, and I had some Switch cartridges with me, and I dropped one of them on the floor, and it's like I might never see that again, and that's <laughs> yeah. worth like fifty, yeah. forty, fifty quid. Um, so actually, although the size of the old Game Boy cartridges 
belies again the pockety handheld portable nature of the console <laughs> actually at least you were less likely to just lose them down a crack a tiny crack yeah, in a uh, very true in the floorboard or whatever it, it did mean i was never more likely to ha- likely to have more than say three to five cartridges with me in whatever case i had uh just because they were kind yes. of bulky it's a bit like when you yeah. had a portable tape player it was always what are mm-hmm. the one or two other tapes i can have with me hey, you better yes. like what's in the console yeah, because absolutely. you might be playing a lot of it um, and i don't know about you guys and this is the worst uh obsessive gamer first world problem blah 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 but sometimes as much as it's it feels amazing to have your 3ds or your switch loaded up with loads and loads of amazing games digitally it does cause a certain amount of analysis paralysis when you when you're on on the road and a lack of focus so i often find myself diving back into quick play things games that i love and that's cool but if i actually only had one or two carts with me it would you know steer me into playing things that I actually want that are going to take a bit more effort to get into and whatever else. So oh, definitely, that's yeah. having one Game Boy or two Game Boy cartridges because you have less money, you have yeah. uh, less pocket space. That that actually focuses you on, especially you know a lot of those games were would have been '80s style, '90s style, you know, challenge levels. Yeah. So rather than just f- turning it off and going back to um, you know something that you were more familiar with you you'd be more likely to persist maybe but of course you probably always had tetris with you as well and there are many anecdotal <laughs> anecdotal stories of people actually keeping one game boy with tetris just literally super glued into the slot because why would you why would you ever need to change it why would you ever need to change else? but also why would exactly. you super glue it in just yeah, that's, that's just to make that a point i guess yeah, yeah I guess. it's a strange <laughs> statement to make i i agree no, I, but, uh, I i agree though i i am like that now where i have so many games because i mm. have more consoles available to me i have digital distribution i have more disposable income i it's i have so many games like on my 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 psn in particular is just uh i could i i think i was talking about this with my my uh mom and my sister at christmas it was you know i I could probably never buy another video game again and be just fine. Like I, yes, same, that's yeah, I'm not gonna do that. I'm because no I'm, way. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> because I am who I am. But uh, yeah, exactly. I, it's there's there's so many. But I can remember. I don't replay many games now. I, I will sometimes. Like I'm playing Persona Four Golden for the umpteenth time. Um, but you know it. As as a rule, I don't play things over and over again usually. Mm. But that's yeah. what I did with the Game Boy. I mean, I had I had a decent amount. I had maybe a, a dozen, somewhere between a dozen and like maybe twenty cartridges mm. by the end of its its lifespan. But I would play those over and over and over and over and over again, especially yeah. on those long car trips. You know, it would be like, oh, I'm gonna play this for an hour, and then I'm gonna play this for an hour. Now I'm pretty much like Super I'm Mario playing Land. this, and I'm gonna play this until I'm done with it because I'm probably not gonna come back to it. Then it was very yes. different. Yeah. yeah, Super Mario Land's like about forty minutes long, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh god, I don't know how many times yeah, I played that game. Maximum, <laughs> like yeah, so many. Yeah. yeah, very small, very small game. Yeah. But so we're talking about the depth and the size of the machine. Again, this will probably depend on the size and shape of your tiny sweaty hands. But (laughs) was it actually comfortable to hold for lengthy sessions of Tetris and Mario Land or whatever? Did you did you end up with any kind of Game Boy claw or, you know, grooves imprinted into your palms and all that sort of thing? I don't think that I ever really got um, 
got claw syndrome until the <laughs> PS2, PS3 era. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't recall having any real issues with it. The button layout seemed pretty, A, pretty simple, and B, just fine for, you know, smaller hands. Um, it's been a long time since I held a Game Boy, so I have no idea yeah, whether I would remember. get that now. But, like, the Switch, for example, gets quite sore on my hands if I'm using it in handheld mode. Yes. Um, I never remember that with the Game Boy, and that may no. just be different era, different time. I was a kid, so the I endorphins of exactly were I either didn't any... care or it just wasn't going to hurt because <laughs> I didn't have these yeah. arthritic old hands that I seem to have now. Um, but uh, yeah, I never remember not feeling like it just sat perfectly in my hands. Um, it also helps, I think, that it didn't didn't have shoulder buttons or triggers or anything, so it didn't matter. You, you could hold it where your thumbs were comfortable and yes. the rest of your hands just did the keeping of the Game Boy up off the ground. It was literally yeah. all they were there to do. It was a cradle for, for the Game Boy. So um, describing parts of my body as a cradle, cradle for a gaming device is not really the <laughs> highlight of my life, to be honest. It's about, I, I, it's about I think, spot on. Yeah. I think I've... Kind of should be making more of myself. Your than brain that, but... is a cradle for a gaming device. <laughs> so I've made my peace with who I am. That's, <laughs> yeah, that sounds totally. about right. That's, but, that's, but yeah, we are, I, we are definitely who we are on this I, show. I guess you didn't have so much reaching around for the controls to do. It's literally A and B no next to one another in the deep the game. <laughs> Damn you, Leon! <laughs> I walked into that one. <laughs> um, uh, well, you sorry. were only eight years old. I mean, come on. <laughs> With those tiny sweaty hands. Oh no, that was Leo. <laughs> That's me. That's uh, me. <laughs> right. Oh god, I'm gonna have to change my Twitter handle now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, the part if we if we take the fact that we accept the fact that the it's, it kind of annoys me that the dis, the descriptor underpowered it gets used for the switch a lot. It means less powerful than its generational competitors, I suppose. Yes. Uh, but it doesn't like. I don't think the Game Boy. I've seen it described in researching the show as underpowered, mm. but actually I don't, I don't think it was. It was exactly the right amount of power for what they set out to achieve. Yeah. Um, so I think when I, when I, when I ask you about shortcomings and weaknesses, I don't, I mean, you can say like the black and white graphics in the sense that other machines had color. So it was, it was underpowered in that regard, but I'm thinking more about if they achieved exactly what they wanted to achieve with this first attempt at this kind of a console for Nintendo I think the issues that are most often cited, and I remember being, <clears throat> so I did play on a, I didn't mention this earlier, but I did play on a, a full-size Game Boy before the Pocket came out. I had a friend mm. called Andy who who had one, and uh, we would often play, uh, we would have these lengthy sessions of Championship Manager on the Amiga, which we spoke about when James, yeah. Carl, and I did that podcast some time ago. Meanwhile, he would lend his Game Boy to my then-girlfriend, who wasn't interested in the long football game that was just numbers so she would play she would play on on that uh while we were yeah playing the boring game so uh and i i do remember that but the the issues i do remember when when you know occasionally grabbing it for a quick play of tetris or whatever was the the visibility just generally like you've already talked about the lighting being mm. a factor um i don't remember it being as problematic as the gba was later on the the launch gba which was yeah. basically invisible in almost every condition um but i do remember the motion blur on a lot of games being a real problem with the refresh on that dot matrix screen mm. causing 
um, and I, I think a lot of games were designed to offer workarounds to this, uh, where um, the, a game, say an arcade game or 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 a game that a franchise that existed on another system would be altered in some way to make projectiles more visible and stuff but not every developer kind of got their head around that so they just made their game mm. and then and had it running and then you would be killed by invisible bullets or whatever or you wouldn't you know the, yeah. the platforms yeah. would come smushing onto the screen and you wouldn't really have a clear picture of where you needed to be jumping and that kind of thing so was that an issue on was it some games more than others is it uh, is it overstated how much of a problem that stuff was in your opinions i, I remember it being like motion blur being a thing uh, and I definitely remember the, uh, as I said before, the lighting being kind of an issue in, in a lot of situations. But I don't, I don't really remember having a problem with that. I don't, no. I, I don't, um, I don't know whether that's because I didn't have a whole lot to compare it to, or whether it's just because it wasn't really that big of a problem for me. Uh, probably a little bit of both, honestly. But um, I, yeah, I, I, I can remember there being that, but I, I, I think that it, kind of like you were saying before, Leon, it, it just. It's not that it was bad, it's that it was doing what it was supposed to do and it wasn't trying to overreach. So, I mean, anything is going to be like that if you compare it to what came after it or, you know, anything that was yeah. not designed to do the same thing. I don't I don't think it was underpowered. I just think that it was it, it I think that they used what they had very well uh mm. in in some situations more than others even. If you ask me about the game gear, I'd say I remember that screen being like a little blurry at times yes. or, you know it, uh, almost like smudgy if For you had sure. fast motion especially with something like sonic being on it mm. um i don't remember that about the game boy one thing i do remember one of the games that was one of my favorites but is one that almost no one will have heard of i'm sure um i do remember what you're saying about kind of invisible bullets but it would be where you'd get a projectile was crossing over something else and it was almost like the game boy was trying to Hmm. Not re well, I guess render two things in one place sort and it would of just attribute make it clash blank. in the yeah. spectrum parlance. You'd just yes. get wherever you got overlap of a pro of two projectiles together or something. Yeah, you'd get like half of the projectile just like flicker out and disappear or something. Um, and of course, you're only dealing in a very limited number of colors. Or yeah, shapes, exactly. So, so yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I definitely remember that kind of thing. But I think Leah, you kind of put it perfectly. Was this was still like magic to me? This was like the fact that I had games in my hand and could take them with me wherever I went, I it I couldn't read a book in the dark, so it, that didn't bother me. So it, I knew I couldn't play games in the dark, if you see what I mean. Um, and and there were drawbacks to any other video gaming mm. device I'd been able to hold in my hand that this surpassed so many of. Um, mm. That it, I'm sure if I looked at the screen now, I would see motion blur and I would see issues with how it renders and whatever. Um, and certainly anyone who's looking at YouTube videos, you're far more likely to see an emulator, which almost yeah. looks like a paper white Kindle or something. Uh, and that's not how it looks on the screen, but that's right. That's how more how they look on 3ds virtual it, console. Exactly as well, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I never remember feeling like it was a problem at the time. It was still just such a marvel to me that it existed at all. Yeah. That, that it never detracted at all. Sure. So multiplayer involved cables no wi wireless wi-fi uh candy crush saga predecessor according to the guardian i guess you could say that yoshi's cookie featured uh, some puzzles designed by tetris creator alexei pazitnov and four-player action 
better than that, the Game Boy version of early first-person shooter Faceball 2000 allowed 16 players to take part simultaneously via a tangle of cables and adapters. Released in 1991, this incredibly prescient title gave handheld owners a similar experience to local area network gaming on the PC two years before the arrival of Doom. Now, I mean, I know stuff, but that's <laughs> amazing, right? I mean, that's Faceball 2000 on the Game, game Boy was offering 16-player first-person shoot-em-up action on a flipping handheld yeah. in 1991 <laughs> whether it was fun or not uh, is mo- moment, almost by the by to acknowledge the name <laughs> faceball 2000 that is just <laughs> i've never heard that before and, i remember it uh, i remember it brilliant. existing but i didn't play it <laughs> for the life of me i can't ever remember using a link cable with my game boy i must have because i had several didn't friends it come packed it. in with one, yeah, one yeah, of our yeah. correspondences yeah. right okay that's, um, I mean, that's something, and, and I definitely remember plugging it into, but with no Game Boy on the other end, into my Game Boy just to see it <laughs> hey. plug in, just because having a, a cable and a plug, why wouldn't you, you know, cable and a the, socket. The uh, saddest Christmas card image. <laughs> but I, I, <laughs> I never actually remember um, uh, ever playing it in two player. I must have because I had friends that had it. I had games. Mm. Um, I do remember on the package it would show kind of a link cable icon if if it was compatible. Yes. Mm-hmm. I do remember right. that. That was back, uh, you know, N- Nintendo giving really clear labeling for what controllers you can use and what uh, whether it's playable online, etc. Um, so did you not even do any Pokemon then. sharing or anything like that? I never played Pokemon. So, no, I, 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 I'm not sure when the, the uh, Pokemon Red and Blue came out on the Game Boy. I probably wasn't playing my Game Boy by then, and cer- certainly kind of missed the boat on uh, on on Pokemon. That was kind of before my time. Right. It sounds daft to say it. There are plenty of sixteen-year-olds love Pokemon, and rightly so. And, I like and, Pokemon. Yeah, I, yeah, I exactly. like Pokemon now. Um, I probably would have loved it then too. I just. I... But it was it was one of those things. I was yeah. I was just aware of the cartoon on TV and mm-hmm. knew who Ash was and Pikachu was and obviously all that stuff. But just never it, I kind of missed yeah. the boat on it. I, I guess I okay. was at that sort of. 15, 16 year old phase. So of... no multiplayer Tetris, no. I must have. <laughs> I, I had so many friends that had, and several games that had uh, link cable compatibility. I must have hooked it up at some point. Mm. But for the life of me, I can't clearly oh. recall a single uh, episode of, of doing that, you know, as a single occurrence. Leah? Yeah, I don't really remember getting into the link cable stuff until I guess it would have been the Game Boy Advance because the Game Boy Advance had yeah. things that linked into Mario Kart. Yes, and also had things that linked into the GameCube. Aha, um, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. Yes, with that stupid bucket. Um, but, Animal Crossing. <laughs> yes. Um, it's coming back this year, I, Leah. I don't know, forget. I know. Believe me, there's we've had discussions, but um, yeah, <laughs> uh, I I don't I don't remember doing really any multiplayer stuff with the Game Boy. I also didn't really get into Pokemon. Uh, when it was released uh, on the Game Boy, it was it was not until considerably mm. later that I realized that this is this is just a JRPG. What have I been waiting for? But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I don't think I did any of that at the time, really. Okay. How about the famous, infamous camera and printer? <laughs> we've already mentioned it. Uh, so in 1998, 
Again, this is from The Guardian. Nintendo launched the Game Boy digital camera and compatible thermal printer, allowing users to take low-res photos of themselves before printing them out onto tiny pieces of paper, pretty much inventing the selfie. Images could be customised with pixelated wigs and glasses, and much hilarity ensued in schoolyards and pubs around the world. The package also included a range of strange augmented reality games and some unsettling hidden features such as hitting the run option, for example, would often bring up a bizarrely modified image of a man asking, why are you running? Um, <laughs> well, that's creepy. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember this being featured a lot in the pages of, uh, it would have been N- N64 magazine, wouldn't it? That was, yeah, that was yeah, the overlap. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they 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 did a lot on this stuff, and there was obviously there was talk about the Game Boy camera allowing you to take your photo and put it into Perfect Dark. They were talking about that, as uh, but they were concerned about um, you know newspaper headlines of people shooting their friends in games and all this sort of thing. So they, so they didn't go ahead with it. But um, I remember not feeling disposed towards spending money on this stuff because it didn't look great to me but again all credit to nintendo like with labo that we've seen recently they've gone they've run with a crazy idea and basically invented some stuff or certainly pioneered some stuff if not invented and um well i mean they've done some ar stuff in uh in later games in exactly other consoles and you know the the ds's I think from the original DS have all had cameras, right? Um, um, DS, no, DSi was the first one. Oh, oh yes, yes, of course. Mm. Um, but yes, uh, from DSi forward then, um, yeah, yeah, cameras. And yeah, I I don't know. I, uh, I never had a, a Game Boy camera myself, and I don't think no. I became aware of them until uh, a, fair, a fair amount of time later. Yeah. Um, but it always just seemed like this weird idea. <laughs> like, yeah. oh boy, I can only imagine the things that people were taking pictures of. Um, <laughs> mm, low res. Oh no. Um, yeah. yeah. R- Richard pictures. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I just having the little printer with the little tiny, I mean, it, basically yeah, you're getting like a little Polaroid. Yeah. yeah. I, it's so, it's such an odd thing to have on this system that would have been approaching I 10 years old at think. that point. Yeah, I think those uh, photo sticker booths were already big in Japan. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where a lot of the the ideas came from yeah. with the sort of, yeah, dressing up yeah. your picture with moustaches and hats sure. and whatever. Ja- um, interested, James, in this? <laughs> it's funny, Leah, you should say that you didn't hear about it until way afterwards. I, if you'd seen me reading these notes today, I was indignant at the notion that this wasn't no. until 1998. <laughs> I was absolutely right. indignant in the notion that this did not come out until 1998. Because as I've said, <laughs> by like maybe, I feel like 96, 97, I probably wasn't using my Game Boy much anymore then. Mm-hmm. It felt like that was something I got when I was eight. I was excited about when I was eight. I was now 14, 15 years old. Yeah. That's a massive difference. Oh, a huge difference in age sure. at, at that age. I, yeah. I distinctly remember the camera and the printer, <laughs> but I I. I didn't have one, wasn't interested in getting one, but it it feels like that was at a time when I was still huh. obsessed about my Game Boy, still playing it. I, I, I that, but hearing that it wasn't until nineteen ninety eight is such a disconnect for me because that's like uh, a moment when I know that like to say the Game Boy basically lasted ten eleven years, yeah, as a going concern. Um, mm. 
is is unfathomable to to my brain really i know playstation 2 playstation 3 etc you know those consoles have been supported for that kind of length of time mm-hmm. but the relevance feels like a much shorter window uh mm. and, and the same for nintendo consoles i, I happen to mention two sony consoles just because those are the ones that came to mind but yeah. um mm. To to think that the Game Boy by 1998 was still getting camera and printer, and that still felt like when the Game Boy was relevant to me. There's already um, there'd already only been there'd only been two revisions. Whereas yeah. if you think about the DS, we had the light, the DSI, yeah, yeah, all within yeah. a few you know a, a relatively yeah. short space of time. The one that yeah. the one that always blows my mind is that that Pokemon didn't come out until so late. Like yeah. that, yeah, that's crazy because that's one of I mean now in retrospect that is one of the things that I think of as like the huge games and the the things that made such yeah. a huge impact on that console. And, and it didn't come yeah. out until the the console was yeah. almost. Well, I won't say dead because I don't. I don't know that it ever necessarily it died as such. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, towards the the end of its uh, its yes. run, really. Yeah, at mm. a time when to to me that was almost post Game Boy because it was mm-hmm. post my interest in the Game Boy. Yeah, which is such a self centered thing to say, but you know what I mean. There's yeah. there's stages of your life, and and like now. I can buy a console on day one of release and know that I'll be playing games on it until its successor comes out. Mm. That's mm. I play that many games. I'm always going to want to be playing the the latest consoles. But when I was a kid, there were obviously phases of my childhood, not where I was less interested in games, but where I'd moved on from Game Boy to like PC gaming. By the time we're talking 1998, all my gaming was on PC. Um, and yeah, it's just, it, it almost broke my brain in in its sense of time the fact that that pokemon and the camera and the printer weren't coming out until way after it feels like i'd i'd kind of presumed the game boy stopped being relevant but it wasn't it really wasn't it's amazing to think that it kept going for this long and and yeah something like the the game boy uh camera and printer is kind of a niche thing in a response to something that's very uh, I guess Japan centric, uh, but mm. but su- such a cool thing to do with a console that seemed limited by in some ways by the technology that Nintendo chose to to use when stuff like the Game Gear and the Links came out after it. It's it's mind boggling to me. Yeah. I I can't make sense of it. There was of course also the Super Game Boy again, which uh, came out uh, five years into the Game Boy's life. This was an add on for the Super Nintendo that allowed you to play somewhat enhanced in uh, yeah <clears throat> some of the cartridges actually came with enhancements that would be accessed by playing them on the Super Game Boy or the Super Game Boy would just uh, colorize the games or whatever in fact the Super Game Boy pretty much held all the guts of the Game Boy within it it wasn't an emulator as such it was a pass through version of the console mm. to all intents and purposes again this was something that i was interested in but as it turned out i waited around until the game boy player came out for the gamecube which is also compatible with um previous gen games anyone have a super game boy i never had a super nintendo so oh yeah so yeah. i always forget that. <laughs> it's it's an it's odd thing to remember. yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah no it, it's something i remember and definitely remember seeing adverts for uh, around the time mm. uh, i had a super nintendo i had a game boy but i never got to the point of feeling the need to put my game boy games into my super nintendo that, that kind mm. of felt felt like separate things especially it sounds odd to say because like now it, 
I can imagine the use case for it, obviously. It existed and was oh, yeah. presumably successful, but um the thinking back on the Game Boy, it was it was such an example of say what the PSP was to the original PlayStation. It was mm. can we take a, a, a NES and NES and put it in handheld form? And I I know it's not color and I know not all of the games ported were ported perfectly, but there yeah. are, there are games that went from the NES and and it was more uh, wasn't more common. It certainly felt like the ports that you would get that were straight ports would be from the NES, not from the SNES. Uh, if that makes sense, yeah. there were there were definitely mm-hmm. games that came out on SNES and Game Boy versions came out as well. Yes. but um, it never it never yeah. felt like it was eight bit. It was an eight bit yeah, machine. Yeah, um. So so yeah, it, that felt like a separate thing. And what I was getting from my Super Nintendo was just being bowled over by the bright colorful sprites and that was never never felt like it was going to happen the same way yeah. with a game boy cartridge in there so yeah yeah it never it, it was never quite uh, appealing enough yeah. to to sell it to me but there yeah there were whatever whatever reasons there were it felt like the the game boy player for gamecube i think once now the advance had come along uh, there were. It felt like there were more reasons. Yeah, I did have one of those, uh, um, but uh, I, I, I guess I must have probably played some original Game Boy games in it. But I think I mostly was using it for the uh, the advanced games at that time. Yeah. So yeah, we talked a little about uh, magnifiers, lights, and speakers. Uh, I've just sought out. I, I, it's it came back to me a couple of images of <laughs> devices. The Booster Boy. These are quite the images, Leon. I I I remember these as well, but yeah. If you're listening to the show and you're able to quickly Google on your phone or or desktop, Booster Boy for Game Boy by Cytec. I mean, wow. What a beautiful thing. What is is the one below it? Because that one is a monster. (laughs) That's called the Full Armor Game Boy. Yeah, it looks like it. It looks like a mech Game Boy. Yeah, that's uh, redefining portability. <laughs> redefining portability yeah, but, um, to yeah. not portable at all, actually. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it's got big stereo speakers it, on it the side. Helpfully labeled left and right, yes. <laughs> I hope and, I hope it runs off its own power, because if that's tra- training I know. the Game Boy Gosh. batteries, I dread to think. Um, I think they need extra batteries. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, they're both... Right. To to describe, they're both devices that you rest your Game Boy within, effectively, or or in in the case of the the Booster Boy, it's it's kind of a big, it's like an arcade flight deck or something. Uh, it's got it these looks unsightly... like a <laughs> It does kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a Japanese toilet. <laughs> um, it's got a magnifying screen above it. It ingeniously replaces the all digital controller the perfectly formed nintendo cross pad with some kind of cockamamie yeah, they both do that and that's the part that really upsets me like I, I get that you might want bigger speakers or magnifiers or whatever but like they both put joysticks and weird like clicky <laughs> things above the buttons. the buttons yeah i don't i don't even know, I know how to describe them best but they're not they're not good they're not good Oh, those poor children. Um, Their parents thought they were doing so good, and they were not. I know. I think, and I think, looking at the Booster Boy, I think those big dog ear nodules on the top and left to right, those are speakers as well. I think those are stereo speakers. They're not just... Yeah, no, you must be right. I I was trying to work out what those were a dial for. Did you need to ratchet (laughs) in to tighten around the Game Boy or something? But but no, they must be. They must be speakers. And they... 
if they were a little bit longer and further away, they would be. They would turn That's this from foot spy into sex toy, wouldn't Pretty they? Much, it's a yes. torture it's device they're... for your. It's a torture device for your Game Boy. I I don't I, I mean it's I guess weird. you must be supposed. Hmm. It looks like you could probably like put it on a table or something, but then I don't know how you would yeah. get your hands yeah. around it. Like I don't. This does not well, make I any sense. I think Leon hit the nail on the head. The the idea is you play it as a if it were an arcade cabinet. I guess you wouldn't yeah. put your hands around you it. You would have you'd, your hands on it. Yeah. Try and kind of rest. I guess you'd have to use a finger for the stick. On that giant red button fingers. on the bottom, which I assume is to release the Game Boy from its little prison there, but uh, maybe it doubles <laughs> as a rest. It. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there were more of these. They, they, these are just a couple of the ones that I've uh, remembered. I, and, I do and remember found. the the basic magnifier and light that yeah. slotted over yes. the top. And uh, I don't know if that was an official Nintendo. I don't. Thing? I think it might have been a, like a a, a licensed. Yeah. It it feels like the sort of thing I'm not sure Nintendo would want to license because would it would, would be admitting nowadays fault, would someone yes. want to admit exactly that the Good screen point. wasn't big enough and yeah. wasn't bright enough. Um, but yes. but I do remember them. Uh, I don't remember having one. I never kind yeah, of felt the need. Either. But and and the magnifiers always seemed. You know when in a cracker when you get a magnifying glass as a plastic magnifying glass as a yeah. as a joke toy present. Sorry, yeah, they're, this they're, this won't work for crummy. everyone who doesn't know what Christmas crackers <laughs> are. Um, yeah, it felt like it distorted the screen in some yeah. cases. Yeah. And if you're not doing a good job of magnifying. Yeah. Why? Yeah. I could see the light, but I don't think I, I would need yeah. any of these other yeah. things, especially not those. The, the problem, the problem, buttons. of course, with the the light is like the first kind of backlights for portable gaming devices. They come from one side or corner of the screen, so it, they never yeah. really light evenly yeah. or anything like that. No. Um, and and shining a light onto a, a semi-reflective surface <laughs> was kind of. It was trying to kind of shine it across, but it, yeah, yeah. It, it felt like very much like like the Booster Boy or or any of these things. Like you're bolting something on to try and as a make good, when actually you're far better off just playing the Game Boy as, yeah. uh, in my opinion at least, playing the Game Boy as is. And uh, and if that means you can't play under certain lighting conditions or whatever, then then so be it. But. So yeah, the other name for the full armor Game Boy is, and I do remember this, the Handy Boy. Oh, that and... sounds. <laughs> oh, yeah. I <laughs> and it did carry the official Nintendo seal oh, of quality. God. The Nintendo licensed seal of approval was just you paid yes. us a publishing fee, but yeah. or or equivalent, yeah. wasn't it? So it doesn't actually mean anyone at Nintendo signed off this thing necessarily. True. Sure, but yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm still laughing Suits. at Andy Boy. Yeah, that was... <laughs> uh, well, you get over that. Suits from the forum says, yeah. it must have been the summer of 1991. I would have been around seven, and I can vividly remember being in my grandparents' house in Romford, Essex, during the summer holidays. My grandmother called out, Quick, a magpie is flying off with the Game Boy, which sent me scrambling like a child possessed into the garden, where I'd made a makeshift tent with the washing line a bedsheet and a few Kit Kats. <laughs> of course, this was a cruel ruse designed to tease me over my brand new Game Boy that my grandparents had bought for my upcoming Christmas gift. It had been I'd been given it that day as part of the old school way of making sure that it worked first, then to put it back into the box for Christmas later that year. It was later decided to let me keep the new device as late summer as the, uh, later that summer holiday I was going on a family holiday down to Weymouth and it would have kept me occupied on the way down in the car. 
I have many other wonderful memories of my Game Boy, which always seemed to be around in some sort of fashion, regardless of what my main home console was. Many times this was a weapon of choice for my school toy days and playground swap shops. I can also remember being ill once with shingles, as it turned out, and had to spend some time in hospital as a little child. To try and soothe me, my mother bought me the Game Boy ASCII Carry All DLX, which I absolutely adored. It held your games, maglite, spare batteries and four stacks of four games in their cartridge cases. I used to spend ages arranging them and then rearranging them into some sort of order for what looked best. As the years ticked by, my Game Boy started to become faulty on the power coupling, which made it very temperamental and to try to stop the connector fouling and critically halting play instantly, I had to wrap the cord around the Game Boy itself to try to attempt a more solid connection, resulting in the most awful monstrosity of a mess, which ultimately ended my affair with the original Game Boy. The sound of a Game Boy cartridge in its case knocking into others is delightful. I have quite a few loose Game Boy games now. I often rescue ones I see floating about at car boot sales for cheap, or get given ones that have been found down the back of cupboards or wardrobes. I've even bought a box of empty official cases for homeless cartridges that I find. I keep them all in a Nintendo zipped soft case that I often just run my hands through and wonder what a 10 year old suits would have thought of that site. A wonderful console that really nailed the market at a time when there wasn't much that could get close to it. A special system for a special time in gaming. Uh, I haven't actually Googled it, but uh, the mm. ASCII carry all DLX. It's not the one that. It's like not the it, one that's shaped like a Game not, Boy. I okay. did Google it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's close. It's the same general shape uh, and and kind of yeah, size, yeah. but it, it's not actually. I think it must have been just a revision on that. That was the one that actually looked like a Game Boy. I think right, it's basically okay, the same thing, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't buy any specific Nintendo. Game Boy magazines. There were a couple in the UK. I don't know about in America. I know that generally you you guys favoured multi-format mm. stuff with EGM and things like that. But we had Game Boy Official Magazine for a while at least. We had GB Action. We had one that was simply called Game, which I don't remember at all. And then there was, of course, the, the Mean Machines Nintendo spin-offs, the official Nintendo Magazine, Nintendo Magazine system. Uh, CMVG carried some Game Boy stuff because it was all formats i guess some of the other all formats did as well but the one i remember doing the most for game boy was total magazine which was i think future publishing's all nintendo mag which uh, still had nes stuff going well into the 90s uh, super nintendo and game boy any uh, any magazines you poured over back at the time do you remember coveting any cartridges before you got hold of them or anything like i that? never really did gaming magazines at that point um but this would have been right around the time the game boy launched would have been about when nintendo power launched i think uh late 80s um uh... so i imagine they probably had a fair amount of um of stuff in there the I, I i the only issue of nintendo power i ever actually remember owning was a strategy guide for super mario brothers 3 which i did not own so i don't know why i had that but um yeah i that's that's really the only one that i had so yeah as i mentioned before um even so at 8 years old probably yeah occasionally if i had some pocket money to hand yeah and saw just based on whatever was on the cover really i definitely do remember the game boy official magazine and gb action um and buy I, I buying them at least sort of once or twice um but it was almost always i'd just look through the pages and and it wasn't so much that i was in a position to or would covet a game before 
release or anything. It was just finding out what was out and available to go on to, you know, a birthday list or whatever. Um, mm. So, yeah, no, n- not not massively, but I do remember buying, you know, sporadically. It was never a subscription situation. I'd never try and get my hands on never. every copy or anything like that. It was just if I saw, and it would literally be whatever gaming magazine that the, the news agent had in stock. And obviously, if it was a, a GB action or whatever, and I had, you know, uh, once I had a Game Boy, that always caught my eye. But um, But, yeah, no, definitely no, and definitely don't have any of those anymore. Those, uh, those of course, it was also difficult for the mags to do representative screenshots, and <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so they didn't always come yeah. across looking the best in in mags either. No, no, absolutely. Uh, I mentioned, I jokingly mentioned about serious applications, but uh, according to the Guardian, for a brief moment in 1992, it looked as though the Game Boy was about to become the serious boy. The arrival of the Scion Series Three and Apple Newton in the early 90s kickstarted a new market for handheld computers or personal digital assistants. These are probably best known these days, uh, this is my interjection, as collectibles in video <laughs> games where you find uh, find uh, logs and notes and recordings that people have made. Uh, and enterprising eyes looked toward Nintendo's gaming system, hence The Workboy, a productivity app developed by unknown company Fabtech, which would ship with its own keyboard and featured a diary, calculator, currency exchange, and an accounting app. It never received a full retail release. Again, work boy, heck of a name. <laughs> That's just... Uh, <laughs> yes, got myself a work that, boy. Ooh, that, mm. Mm, I think I should be quiet. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, think... I'm not surprised, to be honest, because if you think about it, as soon as yeah. tablet PCs and phones got to the point they were repurposed as work-based devices and not just in the in terms of i have a work mobile but actual on the floor devices you know sensors added to the maps added to them that could be used for uh, scanning uh, barcodes for monitoring stock levels for all sorts of things in the workplace yeah. where you need something that's uh, robust and usable and flexible um and so yeah kind of makes sense you would do that with a game boy given at the time it was um, hardware that was you know simple that was the the point of the design of it um and presumably relatively cheap as a computing device so if you can repurpose oh, yeah. it why not but uh this is the first i'd kind of heard of this it made se- makes sense reading it but yeah um, I, I hadn't heard of it either but i guess if if it was if this was happening around like 92 that's probably after the initial hit of sales to people who are going to use it as a gaming system so i guess it kind of makes sense that they would be looking at additional ways to make it marketable yeah. when you know everybody in the world it seems like has already had a game boy at that point so i mean mm. i i can see that work boy and continues <laughs> <laughs> work boy uh if you think says uh, says keith in the guardian if you think the work boy was the strangest productivity concept for the game boy you are completely wrong in 1998, Bandai launched the Game Boy Pocket Sonar, a fish-finding gadget that attached to the console, allowing frustrated anglers to locate their prey. The device was able to spot fish at depths of up to 20 metres and displayed their whereabouts on the screen. Tragically, it was only ever available How would that in Japan. even work? Like, did it have like a, there, there must a, be a thingy an that attachment dro- dongle yeah, that goes into yeah, the water or something? I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I don't think you were supposed to get the Game Boy wet. I can't say it's how I ever did, <laughs> no, but... I, no. mm. They were quite robust, yeah. but not waterproof. <laughs> I am I, th- am I thinking, right, was there a th- device that you could 
I'm pretty sure I remember seeing in a magazine uh, a device in which you could completely encase your Game Boy. Oh, so a waterproof for, yes. for, yeah, for, like for bath. For bath. That sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it was yellow, like a submarine, <laughs> like a yellow, like a yellow submarine. Um, cheat devices, yes. Uh, the Game Boy was reverse engineered, as were most consoles, by British games publisher Codemasters, allowing it to produce successful, the successful Game Genie cheat cartridge, which gave players infinite lives and other perks. Um, I never tended to indulge in these. Do either of you guys? No, it wasn't ever my thing. Game Genie. No. Oh yes, I had a Game Genie. <laughs> Uh, oh, you're a cheater! Yeah, I cool, see. Cool, cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't. It wasn't even uh, just cheats. There were all sorts of things you could do that muck were, around with your game. Yeah, yeah. that were like all like mods, effectively. Although they were obviously mm-hmm. built in. In many cases, they were already built into the game. So, um, yeah, this slotted on like a, a hat over the top of the Game Boy, and then you plugged the cartridge into it. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, yeah, I remember any time I would get a new game, I'd frantically pull the little book from the back out and start leafing through. It's this tiny little uh, pocket-sized yeah. book that would uh, yeah. go into a flap in the back of the Game Genie. Uh, and it was quite thick for the the sort of um, dimensions of the page. And I'd, I'd frantically look through and see what cheats it had and, and what I could do with it. And there so- several games weren't on there, obviously. Uh, Anything that came out after the publication of the game genie wouldn't be on there, but uh, through I, I believe they would like through magazines. Pub- I would say they would probably publish updates out. or new yeah, versions yeah. or whatever because yeah. you didn't. The internet existed, but yes. not to that really degree, I guess. They put them yeah. in magazines and yeah, and yeah, definitely sent them out in, well. in magazines. But um, yeah, so uh, absolutely, I had that, and the book I still remember. Like I still have a, a tactile memory of of taking that yeah. out and the little sort of. Uh, clicky snap thing, uh, snap <laughs> yeah. sort of hatch it Excellent. went into. Um, I'm pretty sure the hatch had a space on it where you could see the the sort of logo on the front of the book through it. But yeah, um, were yeah, there some go to cheats that you always or you know <sighs> things uh, tweaks that you always fell back on to improve your fun factor? Not that I can remember off the top of my head. It it was one of those things. It wasn't something I did every time I played a game. It was more just mm. how can I mess with this game. Um, yep. A bit like uh, the only time I've used Cheat Engine on a PC game was when I was replaying Borderlands 2. Um, mm. After I'd already played through it, I just thought, well, I want to play it on PC. I don't want to have to just level up all the way with this character. Uh, Let, let's just see what wacky stuff I can unlock and do and mm. just see see how you can make the game fun in a different way. Um, mm. But but there was like infinite um, health and, mm. you know... Um, invulnerability cheats and stuff like that you could put on that just meant you know if you didn't want to have to worry about dying in a level of super mario land or whatever you could just do that i think the reason i never really got into that and at that time it would have been just because i probably didn't know it existed Mm. but um yeah i just i was always afraid that i would do something that would like mess up the system like i i was afraid i would break something because i mean you are literally rewriting Mm. code in some cases so I, I don't know how often that ever actually happened, but I heard horror stories that were probably marginally true. So, so with the game genie, it's, it was my eight-year-old or whatever it was, ten-year-old. Oh, or sure. No, I mean if you're uh, if you're that age and you're like, oh, that... you can just have infinite health or be invincible, you don't care. You know, you just it's it's a cool thing. Well, and I think that in most cases it probably is. Like I'm I'm not trying to it, uh, to be. Yeah, no, it, it wasn't so much that. It, it was kind of my understanding that it. it because it looked like a physical mm-hmm. interface, you weren't actually changing the machine. You weren't actually changing the cartridge because you couldn't yeah. rewrite what was on the cartridge. 
it was just on the fly changing mm-hmm. a and um variable in the game uh so so it changed what got fed to the game boy certainly but it never felt and who knows a programmer can or or you know even uh you guys can maybe tell me there were people who tried a certain game genie code and broke their game boy or something but uh it never it like felt like it was something but, that uh, i don't know maybe there, i would have had the fear I, hmm. I totally i totally get that um yeah uh, yeah, I, I never felt like that. Uh, there were certainly times I put a code in and it kind of broke the game, so to speak. But you just it was a case it, yeah. of push the reset shut button, off, shut yeah. it off, take the game genie yeah. off, put the game in, and you can go back to playing it as per normal. So mm. I, I never had that particular uh, concern. In all honesty, at the age I was when I was playing it, I probably didn't think too much about it. Oh, yeah. Someone sold a device that plugged into a Game Boy, it must be all right, would have been, <laughs> I thought, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm almost 90% <laughs> sure I would have just thought, no, I paid money for this, therefore it can't break anything. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not saying that, that, that my fears were rational, necessarily. I'm saying no, I no, think that's probably yeah, why yeah. I didn't do it. I, I think, if I'm honest, I just hadn't thought about it as much as you mm. did. <laughs> Okay, let's get into the software library a bit. Now, obviously, as we say, we've mentioned uh, that there were probably somewhere between 700 and 1,000 games released for the Game Boy. We can't possibly mention them all. I'm still getting messages <laughs> regarding the PlayStation show saying, I can't believe you didn't mention this obscure game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, we can't mention them all. We don't have the time and we don't know them Or, or I mean, we so, could. We could just read the <laughs> yeah, list. Exactly. Reel yeah. them off. Yeah, they it's on wiki exactly. um yes yeah, so we'll mention some of the key titles and titles that were important to us and titles that are worth mentioning for some reason but yes i'm apologies in advance if we don't mention the game that you love and you have the strongest memories of you should have posted on the forum yeah. and told us about it and then we probably would have included <laughs> it so uh launch titles in japan were super mario land alleyway baseball and yakuman which is a mahjong game which is kind of uh, traditional for a a Japanese console to release with something like Mahjong or chess or, or something slightly less, so, you know, I suppose slightly more serious or slightly more, uh, yeah, less whimsical. Tetris, um, for example. Well, yes. I guess it would uh, be the Tetris, Tetris equivalent for, for Japan, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yes. I don't even know exactly how much longer it was that Tetris came along in Japan, but mm. it, apparently it wasn't day one. Yeah. Yeah. It was in the US, though, uh, and obviously Yakaman was dropped, and uh, obviously... Tennis was also added to the launch lineup, which was dropped again for the European launch. Weirdly, baseball made the launch lineup, but tennis didn't. Peculiar, but decisions were made. Um, I suspect tennis followed very, very soon after. Yeah. Uh, in terms of models before the pocket, there were the uh, coloured cases. Uh, they were advertised in the uh, mid-90s, 95 with a play it loud campaign in the Japanese uh, market, they were known as Game Boy Brothers. Uh, the new line of coloured Game Boys would set a precedent for later Nintendo handhelds, yeah. which every one of which has since been available in more than one colour or design. Play it loud units were made in red, green, black, yellow, white, blue, and clear, or which is also sometimes known as X-ray in the UK. <laughs> Uh, in 1995, Nintendo of America announced that 46% of Game Boy players were female, which was higher than the percentage of female players for both the NES, 29%, and the Super Nintendo, where it dropped by 50% to 14 I wonder where those figures came from. Interestingly. Because, I mean, mm. I, I, I doubt mm. they would have that just from, like... I mean, I imagine it's probably 
probably survey data or something internal so, yeah, research it's, it, it, I, yeah, just it, just it curiosity a spot survey stuff. yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh yes and obviously it, yeah it's cool that while the game boy yeah sort of made new strides in that regard and i think, I think that yeah, followed into the ds uh systems as well yes uh, I, I don't yeah. know numbers yeah. exactly yeah. but i i do know that no. Uh, no, no. that they it, it's a pretty high percentage comparatively on uh on the ds systems and probably probably yeah. the switch as and well also, i would guess i would think and uh, yeah but i think i think we're now getting to a place where it we Just are in general kind of yeah. reaching sensible parity um yeah uh i think yeah the ds also dragged the age the average age of the mm-hmm. user upwards and they specifically marketed so, um, it at older people i guess the other aspect to that sorry to interject is mobile gaming is a place where because because obviously the mm. um statistics overall i am fairly sure i can't put a finger on the sauce, source but i've heard several times that you know the the um most common gamer nowadays is uh you know um 30 to 40 year old woman um and and that obviously (laughs) (laughs) and and that and that's is swung quite significantly by mobile gaming and and actually if you think about it i wonder if the reason that there was a drop-off between the nes and the snes was Mm. because some of those people some of those uh, women or girls had moved over onto game boy what i I don't know if there's any evidence to back up why handheld gaming should be more appealing to um to one gender than another that doesn't make a lot of sense saying it out loud but um i wonder if that's the case that's that is interesting interesting. and uh, and, uh, i suppose thinking about the super nintendo although the early games you know there were things that you would think would have appealed to, to more traditional and obviously bear in mind when i'm saying this stuff this is not my prejudice this is i'm talking about markets and expectations of parents the people who are buying the games mm. that people would not have necessarily looked at contra 3 and street fighter 2 and thought there's a game for my daughter and so uh, or you know there's a console that has all these kind of you know quote boysy games on more than the game boy which has perhaps oh, games that people as... were more comfortable <laughs> I can support daughters. that because as recently as when I was yeah. working at GameStop, which was, sure? uh, mm. I guess, around 2008, 2009. Um, so it, it was mm. right around the Wii launch. We would still have sections in the game store that yeah, were right. specifically would say things like games for girls and then would have, you know, mm. like the Barbie games and the, you know, yeah. the puzzle games. and the Yes, games. exactly. And it, it was yeah. like literally yeah. the yeah. pink section in the, and it, well, it mm. drove me absolutely insane, but right, so yeah. Right. I, and I mean, but I mean that, that is not that opinion and that uh, perception true or not has been around yeah, exactly. yeah. more recently than yes. I think a lot of us would necessarily come up with. Uh, it's yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, mm. <laughs> Nineteen ninety six, the Game Boy Pocket arrived. That's when I got on board. A lighter unit that required fewer batteries. It had space for two AAA's, which appri- uh, provided approximately ten hours of gameplay. Uh, it was also fitted with the three volt DC jack, which could be used to power the system. It had a smaller link port, which you could uh, attach to an older Game Boy with an adapter. Uh, the screen was changed to true black and white rather than the pea soup <laughs> of monochrome of the original Game Boy. Uh, but like its predecessor, the Pocket had no backlight mm. 
to allow play in a darkened area, although it did improve visibility and pixel response time with the ghosting or motion blurring mostly gone. Uh, the first version, I don't remember if I had the first version or not, but the first version did not have a power LED. This was soon added due to oh, public demand. I relied demand. on that with, with, my, with my original one because that's... That's how you knew you had to wrap up what you were doing or find some new batteries yeah, really yeah, quickly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you need something, don't you? Uh, along with, uh, so that was added along with new Game Boy Pocket units of different colors released in April 1997. Uh, and there were several limited edition ones, including a gold metal exclusive to Japan. Ooh. Sounds nice. Mm. Thanks to the wiki. Uh, and the final model of the original black and white Game Boy was the Game Boy Light, which was released on April 14th, 98 for 6,800 yen, only available in Japan. It was uh, slightly bigger than the Game Boy Pocket, but featured an electroluminescent backlight for low-light conditions. Two AA batteries, so between the requirements of batteries, which gave it approximately 20 hours with the light off and 12 with it on. It was available in two colours, gold and silver, but there were numerous special editions, including an Astro Boy edition with uh, a clear case with a picture of Astro Boy on it, uh, a Samo Tezuka World edition with a clear red case and a picture of his characters, and a solid yellow Pokemon Center Tokyo version. Oh, nice! Quite collectible. I, was I would say. I wonder that. how much of those would go for on uh, on eBay yeah, these I don't days. Know. I'm afraid to look. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Uh, so yes, over 700 titles is my figure, but that could mean a thousand. It's plenty anyway, uh, as you'd expect for a machine that was hugely popular for a decade. Uh, Mr. Ixalite from the forum says, The Game Boy is the epicenter of my gaming hobby. It was the first console I owned, and I can still feel the influence on my gaming preferences to this day. It was the first console I kept. I was probably around five years old when I was gifted my first video game console ever in the shape of a grey brick called the Game Boy. Like so many others, my first exposure to its library was Tetris, but I can't say it left much of an impression on me. Good for passing the time for a bit, but too abstract to impress my younger self. Things changed drastically at Christmas, however, where I received Super Mario Land and spent the following day trying to surmount the game's first <laughs> Goomba. It seemed a Herculean task at the time, as I had to learn the very fundamentals of gaming that I needed to go right to proceed, that things would kill me if I touched them, that my avatar could jump. I remember the excitement uh, I felt as I not only vaulted that Goomba, but crushed it underfoot. I was taking the first steps on my gaming journey. However, even though I'd spent hours trying to beat Super Mario Land, the Game Boy still hadn't truly wowed me. It still felt a bit like Tetris, an abstract time-passing tool. That all changed during a road trip to France, where my dad had bought something which I could pass the time. A game with a weird blue robot called Mega Man 2. The game was German, and its lush manual was no help in setting up story or characters, but it didn't matter. The sprite art was miles beyond Mario, the music was catchy, and the game set my imagination on fire. I was a good robot, there were bad robots, and I was going to beat them all, even if it ended up taking untold months and batteries to do it. I still remember how I beat the four robot masters, confronted Wily in his castle, and got four more stages dropped on me before pursuing Wily into outer space. It blew my tiny mind. Mega Man was the first video game world I can remember being immersed in, and the first game that taught me the satisfaction of perseverance and overcoming a challenge. Following Mario and Mega Man 2, I moved on to Wario Land and Kirby's Dream Land 2. 
which introduced me to the idea that a game could feature content beyond merely beating the final stage. Kirby's in particular taunted me by featuring a completely new boss sprite during the credits, simply labelled question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> Who was that guy? Well, I had to 100% the game to find out, didn't I? By the time the Game Boy had finished educating me in the ways of gaming, I had gone through two bricks, three if you include my sisters, one pocket and one colour, and my gaming preferences were clear. A good game had a distinctive art style, some sort of context, a certain level of challenge, was a 2D platformer, <laughs> and most importantly, it had levels. That is to say, it had bite-sized challenges that ensured that in the time it took to drive to my grandparents, I could make some sort of progress. And as an adult, with all the time-consuming responsibilities that follow, this principle holds more true than ever. Thank you, Mr. Ixolite. So some key first-party productions. Obviously, you've got the Super Mario Land trilogy. This is a series that uh, we intend to someday head back to in the, the podcast as we kind of skip the handheld incarnations mm -hmm. as well as 3D Land, and which is also handheld, of course, and 3D World and the Wario games. Uh, did either of you guys obviously we we all played super mario land did you play on through the oh, series yes, i did um i i don't mm -hmm. i'm not sure if i made it because i think wario land kept going like i i into yep. future consoles game boy color yeah. came next yes um i don't know how yeah. far i made it i know that i made it at least into uh mario land three which would have been the first wario land the one that i have the the most yep. memory of yep is uh, Super Mario Land 2. I remember doing a lot with that Six yeah. Golden Coins uh, game and uh, and enjoying that a great deal. But yes, I that that was that was a pretty big one for me. I would say. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've said before when we covered um, Super Mario Brothers original games that um, as much as I love those games, Super Mario Land, Super Mario Land 2 are my Mario games. That's the right. I had seen and possibly briefly played some of Super Mario Brothers on NES before, but as as far as my formative Mario experience, it's Super Mario Land two probably more than one. Um, I'd I'd got Super Mario Land shortly after getting uh the Game Boy, but Super Mario Land two, yeah, I mean, Wario is Mario's adversary to me because of that game. That that yeah. like. Every bit as much, if not slightly more so than Bowser or, you know, um, anyone else you might care to mention. It's Wario because of that game. And and mm -hmm. the change in art style between Super Mario Land and Super Mario Land 2 was, was mind-blowing yeah. to me. It was just unbelievable. The, I'd describe it as bubbly graphics just because they used the negative space, whereas with Super Mario Land they hadn't so mm -hmm. much. Um right. You could see the characters, you could see them express, you could see them emote. When when um, Mario got upgraded, you know, little sort of bits got added to him and, and uh, one of the power-ups puts little kind of uh, wings on his hat or uh, ears on his hat, I guess. Um, and just being able to see all that detail was just astounding. Mm. It, mm. In the way that seeing Super Mario All-Stars on Super Nintendo for the first time was as well to me just... I, I couldn't fathom seeing that much detail and the absence of color made no difference to me. Um, it wasn't until we were doing those original Super Mario Brothers shows that 
on on the uh, on the Ken Rinch podcast that I realized there was a Super Mario Land three. <laughs> I've no idea why I didn't know <laughs> that. I again because I wasn't uh, I wasn't following gaming in that way. It was just yeah, probably was video games late. were video games, I and I yeah maybe yes. it was as I'd stopped playing with my Game Boy so much, but. I yeah, I just did not know that I I knew of the term Wario Land and that it was a game. I didn't know it was a a third to these, and to this day I still haven't um kind of got round to playing it. But I'm it is it is available on Virtual Console. Pro tip. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm mm. sure I actually have a copy on um 3DS. I think probably on Virtual Console. Um, but I've 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 never played it and. Mm. Uh, this once I found out I was already doing Kane and Rinse and it was kind of a situation of well we'll cover it one day I'll play it <laughs> then um but but yeah Super Mario Land Super Mario Land 2 are just I, I can't put it any other way than those are my, my Mario games um to, yeah. to the point where when you said you know oh you know 3D Land and 3D World we're not going to cover either I was like yeah obviously not 3D Land basically follows on from Super Mario Land 2 to me I don't know why I have that connection obviously just mm-hmm. the land in the yeah. title, isn't it? Mm. That doesn't necessarily suggest there's anything more to it than that, but um, yeah. but that follows on for some reason in my mind that that that's a lineage there um, mm. that that I don't know why I have in my brain, but I do. Um, yeah, I I can't express enough how Super Mario Land two, uh, what that game meant to me as a as a kid. Um, it was. It, literally mind blowing to see mm-hmm. uh, the the changing graphics from Super Mario Land to Super Mario mm. Land Two. Nice, obviously a huge one. It arrived four years into the console's lifespan was the Legend of Zelda: Link's Awakening. So we did a full podcast on this back in Volume Five, Issue Two Hundred and Twelve. Uh, Leah and I were on that along with Ryan and Sean. Now I uh, I don't know. Did was this on your radar, James, as a no, my SNES stuff? was my Zelda machine. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I, again, I've got these weird lines in the sand. Uh, SNES was... The reviews for this game were off the charts. It's really though, good. You know? yes, I hadn't yeah. played it until I played it for the um, for the main Kingdom Rinse, uh Zelda yeah, series, yeah. but yeah, it's really good. <laughs> like, yeah, a lot of people still have it as the you know their favorite or, quote, the best yeah. Zelda, um, which, uh, you know, it's it's not quite my opinion of it but i love the fact that it is this fully formed adventure yeah. that was we we talked about the history and, and we won't go into it too long now but it started as a conversion of link to the past and became a hobby project basically of takashi tezka uh, who ended up making in spinning off into this kind of surrealist dreamlike version of the legend mm. of zelda and it uh yeah, and it's um yeah it's a it's a little marvel really, but yeah, um, Metroid Two. So I've never played this one. Um, I've only dabbled with Metroid One. Obviously, I've played Super Metroid in the Prime games. Metroid Two is perhaps most interesting now because it's kind of got two full remakes: one official, one unofficial. Mm. Um, if we ever cover when we probably cover the <laughs> the Metroid series on Kane and Rince, my my absolute intention is to do three separate shows for Metroid 2. One of Metroid 2, Return of Samus, one of AM2R, and one of Samus Returns on the yeah. 3DS. Because I think they each warrant their own entry. 
that, but as I say, I'm speaking from a position of not having played Metroid 2. Did either of you play this? The only version of Metroid 2 that I have played is the most recent one, um, right. the, the 3DS version. So. Quite different, I believe. Yeah, it's uh, it's good. Yeah. Um, I, I, sure. I, from what I have heard of the original Metroid 2, it's a little obtuse, um, but I can't yes. say that I have personal experience with it, so that's mm. just general impression. Uh, yeah, no, uh, Metroid's a, um, a, a blind spot for me uh, in gaming terms. Uh, every bit as much as like a Final Fantasy is or something like that. Uh, I've never mm. played a Metroid game um, mm. and and completely missed out on this. Although obviously um, kind of caught up on what, not what the deal was, but um, got got a sense of how beloved it was, given that AM2R and then a, an official remake exist, and the kind of furore that all of that created uh, within the minds of uh, you know plenty of people who are kind of my age and our our collective age. My hunch is, James, that, mm. uh, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure Josh has said this to you yes, many times, yeah. is that you would think Super Metroid was the masterpiece that many people think it is. Oh, <laughs> I'm absolutely sure. It's literally just one of those things that I've never got yeah. round to. And unlike um, Symphony of the Night, Metroid, you have to go to a Nintendo system for. And so it's kind of a, it was a situation of was waiting for it to come out on Wii U. And by the time it did, I just wasn't playing my Wii U that much anymore. So it the N3DS version is mm. uh, perhaps the best way to play it in, yeah. Uh, yeah. in Europe because it's the NTSC ROM on, oh, right. on, on a delightful little handheld. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yes. That's, anyway. that's not this, that's <laughs> no, not this exactly. podcast. Uh, Donkey Kong 94, not actually called Donkey Kong 94, but it was in development and it is widely known as Donkey Kong 94. When you first boot it up, it seems to be a fairly straight port of Nintendo's legendary Donkey Kong coin-op, but it soon busts out into a fully-fledged platforming adventure of its own. And this may be a reveal or it may not. We're covering it in this coming year on the Kane and Rinse podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kid Icarus of Myths and Monsters is a Gunpei Yokoi game. So this was the... I mean, there's only three Kid kid icarus games right not including smash brothers there was the original there was uprising on the 3ds and there was this one and i don't know too much about it but i believe it's quite well regarded it came to the 3ds virtual console i haven't played it no, no okay I, I was gonna ask actually so is you said this one was uh designed by uh gunpei yokoi yeah mm-hmm. is he the creator of kid icarus or was that just him bringing this I character to so. the game boy I think he was. Either would be uh, interesting, but obviously... He was the producer of the original, but right. the director was uh, Satoru Okada. Right, right. Hmm. Um, uh, Balloon yeah. Kid is uh, the is uh, also a produce, uh, Gunpei Yokoi produced game. This is the uh, sort of handheld spin-off sequel to the Balloon Fight game, which Nintendo... I, I mean, I personally love it, but it is a... It was a complete, it was a kind of cutesy, but still quite hard ripoff of Joust, which we covered on the podcast with balloons and Nintendo releases it on everything they possibly can ever. <laughs> they seem to be very, very proud of, proud of Balloon Fight. Um, but I've not played this, this, um, this sequel, no, but um, no, no, I mean, if we ever cover Balloon Fight, I'll make sure we cover Balloon Kid as well. Uh, Mole Mania is one that I remember getting stellar reviews. It's a completely Miyamoto directed project. 
So this was a, a, a relatively rare case of, even by this point, of Miyamoto um, very much putting his name to a game, although it's actually, direct, the director name is actually one I don't know, uh, Masayuki Kamiyama. Um, but I remember Molmania coming out and people saying, it's from the guy who made Mario. Mm. So it's kind of, it's kind of half true. Um, I think, uh, yeah, it hasn't had virtual console releases or anything like that, but it was a Nintendo EAD game. Mm. Um, but I think it's, yeah, it's probably in the cult classic category. Another one that's worth mentioning, I think, is Mario's Picross, because I think, was it the, I think it was the first Picross game uh and jupiter made it along with ape and they are still making picross games for nintendo to this day i love picross i so do i i, I did not know that it existed quite that far back but um yeah, yeah that's that's cool it controls arguably picross controls best on something with a touch screen yeah so i think the ds and, and 3ds games in fact i got 3d picross round two for christmas uh on 3ds so i'm quite pleased about that uh, Chaos9001 from the forum says, I will always remember getting my Game Boy. I was in grade school and it was one of the prizes for selling a bunch of stuff during the yearly fundraiser. I remember how hard I worked to get this Game Boy. By working hard, I mean giving my mum the fundraiser material and having her take it to work. Mm -hmm. I ended up selling the most in school and received my Game Boy console during class. I was the envy of the rest of the children. I had this Game Boy for years. My favourites on the system were Mario Land 2, Metroid 2, Donkey Kong 94, and eventually the battery-destroying Pokemon games. I have fond memories of this system, but I do not miss the days before handheld consoles had backlights. So yes, uh, Pokemon is a series or show or series of shows that we have not done on Kana Rinse because I don't think we have the necessary chops, expertise, passion for the project to make the best podcast that we can make. Maybe I love someday. Pokemon, but I think that after maybe two shows, I'm going to say, my, my commentary would end up being largely the same for most of them. Not that I think the yeah. games are mostly the same, but I would not know really what mm -hmm. to say to make them different. Yeah, it's a challenge. Uh, and But obviously, yes, there may be... There, it's something I think about a lot. But mm. uh, suffice to say, Pokemon Red and Blue sold 31.38 million. Uh, between them, Pokemon Yellow special Pikachu edition, which was also Game Boy Color compatible and featured the characters from the cartoon, of course, sold another 14.64 million. And then Gold and Silver happened and they sold 23.1 million as well. Uh, Tetris sold 30 million. Uh, I guess that includes pack-ins. Super Mario Land sold 18 million. Super Mario Land 2 actually sold fewer, 11 million. Dr. Mario sold 5 million. And Wario Land, Super Mario Land 3, sold also just over 5 million. Uh, next on the kind of relevant list, Kirby. Kirby, How Labs made several games, uh, a number of games, as they, all, as they always used to do for Nintendo. But we had Kirby's Dream Land and Kirby's Dream Land 2 and Kirby's Pinball Land and Kirby's Block Ball and F1 Ray. Any of those? I, I remember playing the first Dreamland game. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that's the only one of those that I really got into. But uh, yeah, my, my first experience with Kirby would have been around then. And I, I really enjoyed it. He's cute. He is uh, very yeah. cute. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, so I've played Kirby's Dreamland, but only as a virtual console situation. Yeah. Um, I, so not on the Game Boy and not at no. the time. You played the game. Yeah. And, and love Kirby. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, he's just 
circle, pink circle. The only survivor of the great Nintendo Wars of 2018. That's true. Yes. (laughs) Um, And F1 Race. Uh, I Mm -hmm. didn't realize I'd played this until I saw a screenshot of it today. Oh, nice. Um, And as... As soon as I saw it, so it, it, it looks like an arcade racer, but it's F1 mm-hmm. cars. It's the best yes. way I can describe <laughs> yeah. it. And, and there was a lot of that about back, yeah, in, yeah, back yeah. in these days. Yeah. Um, so it's very much a, a kind of F1 skin on something like a Game Boy version of, I guess, Daytona would be the best kind of thing. So it, pole position. That, that, yeah, pole position. More... That kind of um, looking out to the horizon perspective yeah, yeah. with a scrolling backdrop. Yes. And uh, yeah, you know, the classic kind of arcade uh, racing perspective uh, from behind the car. Um, but the screenshot I saw that reminded me was the kind of loading screen for going to the game um, where it would show you a little outline of the track. And I remember staring mm. at that so intently <laughs> to try and memorize <laughs> the track. <laughs> And it made no odds, of course, <laughs> but, but I remember thinking that if I knew what shape the track was, that would help me uh, in yeah. some way, shape or form, try mm-hmm. to. So, yeah, I definitely have memories of that and and great fun. Yeah. Dusk versus Tweak from the forum says, I still remember the day my parents gifted me the original Game Boy back in 1991. Me sitting in the car as they talked outside for what must have been an hour, but for what seems to be no time at all for me. The handheld had come with Tetris and Super Mario Land, and I latched on to Tetris with ease. Mario was a bit tricky at first, but I eventually figured it out. And while I did play at home, it was really a portable device for my childhood. I took it everywhere I went, to church, to school, to the store, road trips, anywhere I could get away with. Games like Tiny Toon Adventures and Kirby's Dream Land were just difficult and engaging enough to keep my attention for long periods of time. As I got older, I kept my Game Boy love and moved on to the Game Boy Pocket, which travelled even better. And the games became even more fantastic, with Link's Awakening teaching me all new levels of melancholy (laughs) and, of course, the juggernaut that was Pokemon Red in my life. While I've loved all my consoles, the Game Boy is, while risking sentimentality here, the one with the cosiest memories. Wrapped in blankets during bedtime or sickness, using light attachments to sneak sessions in when I should have been asleep. (laughs) Yep, we've mentioned Pokemon. Uh, Rare did some games, of course. They ported their Super Nintendo hits, kinda. Uh, uh, now, this was yeah, it was considered folly by some at the time, but they did yeah. somehow manage to make games that resembled the Donkey Kong Country games. They redubbed them Donkey Kong Land, so as not to, I guess, be confused of uh, accused of completely pulling the wool over consumers' eyes because the silicon graphics on display in the Donkey Kong Super Nintendo games were not really achievable on the Game Boy. But I do remember these getting so-so reviews. Um, but I think these were some of the games that suffered from not enough room on screenitis, which was a common thing. So some games would scroll where they didn't scroll on other formats or some games would be zoomed out so you could see more on screen. But I think because Donkey Kong uh, Country was so much about those those big you know, sprites that I think maybe it suffered in that regard. But I don't know if either of you folks played any of these ports i did not uh no i didn't i'm I'm not i'm not surprised they changed the name to be honest because if you're Mm. porting a game to a system that is so completely i'm not even gonna say uh limit just different it's just so different that it's going to play differently and need to fundamentally be changed yeah i mean you see all kinds of differences just between like amiga and commodore and and then uh console versions of games anyway um Mm. 
that the, it stretches the bounds of whether a game's really the same game if they've had to change that much of it. Um, and yeah, change the name on it. It's fine. It's still in yep. the franchise. It's still recognizable. Um, I guess you could be con- then accused of pulling the wool over consumers' eyes if it's not really a new game, if you've yeah. called it something new. But mm. yeah, I, I got the impression that's why they called it Super Mario Land as opposed to Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just avoids the confusion. Yeah, the Donkey Kong games looked uh, like a reasonable rendition in screenshots anyway. Um, Battletoads, Battletoads, the legendary Battletoads. I don't think this version was quite as notoriously brutal as the others. I I could be wrong. Uh, But there was a port and uh, it was well regarded and received. There were one, two, three, four, five Mega Man games. Uh, Again, slightly distinct from the same games with the same or the the other games with the same numbers so mega man 2 with with roman numerals is dis, distinct from mega man 2 okay. with uh, with a number apparently mm. so they're not they're not exact it's not a straight port uh, we also had ducktales of course which was a oh, variation on the famous ducktales. nes game Pogo like a mofo, as I dubbed it when I was writing my notes up today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So is this version of that you played? Because obviously yeah. you can play this yeah. now in, in multiple ways because they yeah, released yeah. the Disney Afternoon Collection yeah. and the remastered version sure. in 2013. Yeah. So uh, there's lots of ways of playing the much-loved DuckTales. Yeah. And again, uh, like um, Six Golden Coins, um, it, it felt like they were doing a, a good job of getting sprite-like graphics onto... A, a machine that had no business having them um and you needed something like that for a cartoon game because you were mm. watching like if you were me you were watching ducktales on saturday morning on uh, on yeah. the tv and you wanted to feel like even though it was green and gray or whatever we want to call the monochrome color, color scheme um you wanted to Olive feel like it, it it yeah. represented the cartoon and i yeah. i think they did a really good job with this i really do um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess uh, as as we've spoken about many times, the NES, although it was available in Europe, it arrived late and it was not nearly as popular as it was in the States. So some of these great games mm. that got ported to the Game Boy, this was they were probably higher profile on the Game Boy for us than they had been on the NES. So games like DuckTales yeah, yeah. kind of yeah. took on a new lease of life in, in Europe. Yeah. Gargoyle's Quest is worth a mention simply because we've uh, covered the first two Ghosts and Goblins, uh, Ghouls and Ghosts games, and Gargoyle's Quest was one of the first spin-offs, a kind of guide end to that series. Dragon Warrior Monsters. So Enix were making billions in Japan and America with the Dragon Warrior or Dragon Quest series. This was a kind of guide in, I believe. I don't know too much about it. Leah, did this one cross your path? It didn't, but um, I I believe that you're right about it being kind of a spin-off series. Uh, it's something mm. that I, if I'm not mistaken, they still or have relatively recently put out um, titles in the Dragon Quest Mo- or the well, I guess now it is Dragon Quest Monsters series for I think the DS. Um, mm-hmm. And I I have not played any of them. I just remember kind of seeing them around. That's right. But, yeah. Rocket slime. Yes, yes. <laughs> mm, yeah. Uh, Konami, of course, also having had enormous amounts of joy on NES and Super Nintendo later, uh, Castlevania 2 and Castlevania Legends and Castlevania The Adventure. I don't know how and whether these lived up to the kind of the 
the challenge of the 8 and 16 bit uh, home games or whether the fact that sometimes there had to be less action on screen on these handheld games made made them a little easier well leon let tackle me, any of these let me tell you <laughs> today i realized that symphony of the night when i played it on my xbox 360 oh, yeah. was not in fact the first time i played castlevania uh-huh. <laughs> I played oh. Castlevania ad- the adventure and I had no idea until today. Ah. Uh the for the opening level the forest with the yeah. uh the kind of werewolf looking enemies walking towards you and the whip I instantly recognized. Um hmm. I ca- I don't think I owned that game so I must have swapped it with a friend or played it at a friend's or something but I realized that yeah I I played that. Um I remember the first level. I'm going to go out on a limb and say I never beat the first level. So, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, as I mentioned earlier, it really didn't matter to me. I wasn't in f- playing these games to, to beat them. I was playing them just for the worlds that they put me into. And as daft as that sounds with uh, with it being on the Game Boy and all the limitations it had, uh, yeah, seeing that today just sent me straight back to being a, nice. a 10-year-old kid. Yeah. You can still buy at the time of recording, possibly not if you hear this in three months in April, but right now the Wii shop is still open and you can buy M2's rather excellent Castlevania The Adventure Rebirth, which is a 16-bit style remake of Castlevania The Adventure. Uh, it's, It's really cool, yeah. Uh, worth checking out. Kid Dracula was a sort of cutesy, chibi Castlevania spin-off for Game Boy. Um, Konami also brought one of... They had the Tiny Toon Adventures license, and boy, did they use it. They released tons of games under the Tiny Toons label. Uh, some really cool ones on the Mega Drive and Super Nintendo. Babs Big Break, I don't know so well, but it seems to have been well regarded. Uh, I saw it crop up in some best-of Game Boy lists. So I never played that. I don't think that it was Konami, but I did play, um, and I don't see it anywhere on the list, so I'm going to put it in here. Go for um, it. The uh, Bugs Bunny Crazy Castle series, oh. which was kind of a, uh, I don't know how many there were. I remember there were at least two, um, mm. but it was kind of a um, uh, screen you know, you have to collect X number of things and then get out before you, mm. uh, before your uh the enemies in the screen kill you and you know there were you just progressed through levels in this in this castle um yeah i i don't i don't remember a whole lot about it beyond that i just remember that that was one of the uh the titles um hmm. I'm, I'm looking at it now and it does not look like it was konami but um no. but yeah it uh that, that was soft or someone that was one that i spent a lot of time on uh it says uh chemco who? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Good question. <laughs> All right. Uh, Operation C was a Contra game for Game Boy. Uh, Gradius was a Gradius game. The Interstellar Assault. <clears throat> that would have appealed to me. Um, I, uh, we... I, I, I do have a Konami game that I played that's not on your list. Okay. Um, Motocross Maniacs. Ah. Which, the way I would describe it is, it's kind of a bit like Trials, but uh excite bike i guess is probably the better uh touchstone Mm -hmm. um i know i swapped this with a a friend who i was in the scout and guide gang show uh with 
I, I would have been a probably still a cub at that point, but uh, whatever. I remember I swapped it. I don't remember what I swapped it for, but I do remember that I swapped it because this game was so hard, I could not beat the first <laughs> level. It was one of those where it was almost instant regret because it was so difficult. Um, and it probably wasn't that difficult, but um, it felt... The reason I would say Trials-esque is because, as you can imagine with a motocross game, the idea is to feel a little bit out of control. And it was way too easy just to over-egg the, uh, the acceleration and end up in all kinds of trouble spinning all over the place. But yeah, it was kind of like a, a motocross platforming game where you had to jump between platforms and then loop around um, kind of tracks that took you upside down. So um, Get this though, music from uh, Mishiro Yamane from, of Castlevania fame and Tsuyoshi Sekito, who was responsible for scoring Final Fantasy VII Advent oh, wow. Children. <laughs> so it so, sounded really good, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> so we mentioned, we talked a little about Final Fantasy Adventure, which is actually the original Seiken Densetsu, or Legend of the Holy Sword. Not really a Final Fantasy game, but it is a square RPG. I can't. Sorry, Leah. I can't, were you on the Secret of Mana show? I don't. Think I you was. Were. No, I, I was oh, on. The you Secret were, of Mana. but yes. that's right. Of course, you uh, played it, but you didn't love it. I didn't love it. I, I liked it, but I did not love it. Um, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, no. I I was not. I never played Final Fantasy Adventure. Um, it, it's mm. one of those where I kind of halfway want to go back and give it a try. But I'm not so sure because I, I know a little bit about the gameplay. And I mean, obviously, it is not. I, they kind of just slapped the Final Fantasy name on this one. It's not it's really. It's a precursor yeah, to Exactly. Second, so, yeah, um, sure. yeah I, I, I don't know if I would enjoy it, but uh, maybe with no. like a guide to, so that I wouldn't have to uh, do too I much. I believe it's thinking. quite short. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm. But no, I have never actually played My it. My friend Andy, who had that Game Boy that I mentioned, he loved it anyway. Uh, there were some ill-advised arcade game conversions. I believe the Double Dragon one was uh, quite well handled. You had that, James. Yeah, yeah, I definitely did. Um, Yeah, I I enjoyed it. Again, they made it kind of, I guess they made it a little more cartoony looking. The the sprites felt a little more squidgy. I don't don't know any better way to put than that. Um, And Mm. the the symbol to move on screen that you would get on kind of side-scrolling beat-em-ups was like a Mario gloved white gloved hand that was kind of giving you a thumbs up motion to kind of jerk you on mm. off, off the screen um so there were kind of touches like that to kind of make it more in line with uh the game boy i guess um obviously double dragon made just for two input buttons so yeah it worked worked well i i remember being awful yeah. at it but i was always awful at those games i don't think that was because the game wasn't up to it it was very sure. much more that i wasn't um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I loved that version of Double Dragon. And some of these games were quite slight in size because of the restriction mm. of the cartridge. So I think they were deliberately sure. made to be extra challenging in in places to so, yeah you know, to, to get to more out of the game, eke yeah, them out. Yeah, yeah. R Type, uh, a famously hard game that we've also covered on the main show, uh, received a remarkable conversion given the difference in power of yeah, the coin. Yeah, I, I saw a bit to of that the, today, uh, and yeah. compared to my shooter of choice on the Game Boy, it looks pretty fast and smooth, to be honest. Yeah, uh, the yeah. DX version is the one to get if you have the Game Boy Color, but for the original, it was not a bad effort. Uh, and now they did Mortal Kombat because, of course, it was selling like hotcakes. They did. Uh, that's that's my, that, again. That's my Mortal Kombat. Um, oh, yeah. How did that go? I didn't know any better. It's the best <laughs> way I can put that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, my SNES was my Street Fighter Two machine. Um, I don't know why I opted for Mortal Kombat on 
the Game Boy rather than on the SNES, even though yeah, obviously the SNES version wasn't ideal. It was but, hamstrung, but yeah. it wasn't um, tiny and black and white and lacking but, all sorts yeah. of features. And yeah. with two input buttons. Um, and uh, two input but, buttons. Uh, yes. So I, I don't know why I opted for that, but actually what I was going to say to, uh, you know, earlier you said, you know, the, the Game Boy library would generally be kid-friendly. Well, they actually did, in terms of Mortal Kombat, the thing that bothered yeah. everyone about it, it didn't matter on the Game Boy. It was fine. It presumably had no issues, almost, because there was no blood. No you, colour. You couldn't yeah. really see what was going on, but um, yeah. it played like I feel like Mortal Kombat plays <laughs> yeah. on an I arcade or how on, well a, it on a console. So. At all. I don't think it was d- disastrously reviewed, but I don't think it was, uh, yeah, it wasn't stellar either. Um, and yes, Street Fighter 2 was the Game Boy game that was one year an April Fool's joke in a magazine, and then um, Capcom went and ahead and I, I, did I it. Did, I didn't know this existed until today, and I literally wrote oh, really? a note, Street Fighter 2 came to Game Boy. How? Yes. And I don't know <laughs> yes. why I thought that when I played Mortal Kombat with only two input buttons, but my immediate well, yeah. brain said... You can't do it with two input buttons. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it genuinely was a CMVG magazine, April Fool, one year. Wow. And then a few months later, they had to announce that, yeah, actually, we, we joked about this, but they are actually doing it. And I think, you know, they did what they could. One thing I was going to ask, do, you know how on the three-button Mega Drive controller, mm. you had to stab the start button to switch between punches and kicks? Sure. Uh, did any Game Boy games utilize the start or select button as an extra actual input button or, or a toggle like that? Do you know? I, I don't remember any. Yeah, nothing that I can think of. There must have so been probably, at least a couple, I would think. It's probably just context-sensitive stuff in, in these fighting games we're talking yeah, about. If, if they're yeah, putting, probably. If they're putting games that demonstrably require more than two input buttons in, I have to think they would have made use of one or other of those, but... As far as I can remember, start was always the the pause button and select to get a menu. But, yeah, um, you know. Mm. Hmm. Uh, there were lots and lots of other arcade game conversions. We can't possibly mention them all, but some of them were, you know, better handled than others. Mm. Some of them were more realistic than others. But uh, those are some notable ones. Movie license uh, probably the biggest deal because it tied in with the uh, well, certainly the Japanese release. But it was all it was all still massive at the time. The first Tim Burton Batman movie, yeah. 1989. This game was really well regarded as well, as I recall. Uh, is Batman this the one has that always Batman fires a gun. <laughs> I think it might. Uh, be. This I is think the one that Batman. Uh, can it's fire either that one or it might be the people. Genesis one. Yeah. Which actually, they might be the same. I don't. I don't know. I never actually yeah, played sure. either of them. But is it meant to be a Batarang? Um, right, yeah, I, 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 like I don't know, sure, but, yeah. I, I but yes, he does. He does walk along carrying a pistol, based on <laughs> what I'm looking at. Yeah, of some. Oh point. boy! <laughs> but I think it was. I think I believe. Not only did it sell a lot of copies, as you'd expect, I believe it's one that is well regarded yeah, yeah, as a Game yeah, Boy game. Yeah, so. I, there was also I a Batman: The Animated Series game, uh, which I don't know if that was as as cool as the Super Nintendo and, and Mega Drive <laughs> ones. Uh, honourable mentions and cult classics. We'll come on to to you guys' picks in a minute. Wave Race is always worth a mention simply because I think for most of us, Wave Race started with Wave Race sixty four, but Wave Race was actually a top down game on the Game Boy first. Uh, wasn't a massive hit or massively well received, I don't think, but it existed. And another one that popped up in a uh, in some best of type 
compilations, Bill and Ted's Excellent Game Boy Adventure. <laughs> Uh, obviously, this was a this was a very popular movie, very well loved yeah. characters, and yeah, this is a, it's a single screen at a time kind of platform game, mm. quite a likable you know arcade style romp <laughs> uh, that went well. I'm curious, Leah, you've shared something called Boomer's Adventure, <laughs> Asmic World. So. Not too long ago, I think it was after I was uh, was invited to be on this this show. I I thought that I had maybe made this up, and, no. and I didn't. I um yeah no. So I this is one of those um uh, things that I I kind of mentioned. You know the c- colorful cartoon characters on the uh, on the uh, box being yep. kind of what drew me into some things and. I didn't remember a whole lot about this, so I actually watched some gameplay about it. And mm. essentially, I, I did remember it. Like I, I had weird flashbacks once I saw it in motion. But um, it, basically, it's it's kind of similar to what I was describing with the crazy, the Bugs Bunny crazy castle thing, where like yeah. you you have a stage where there are enemies and you're looking for a key to get out. It's Load Runner. Yeah. Basically, it is. It's it's like top down load runner. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So you're you're trying to dig these holes to make the enemies fall into them, and then you can cover them back up. And you're looking for a key, and sometimes an enemy has the key, and sometimes it's buried mm. or whatever. But I remember playing a lot of that game, and I don't like it. It seems like it was just kind of this weird. Like I probably my my guess as to how this went is I probably found it and it was probably cheap because uh, it was, I, I think the company that made it was actually Asmic. So that's Correct. why, yes, it, uh, it, uh, which again, I, I didn't know, know that until very, very recently. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's just strange. I probably found it. It was probably cheap. I said, Hey, look, there's a pink dinosaur on the cover of this. And I, somehow talked to my parents and or grandparents into purchasing it for me. Uh, and I mean, I remember having a lot of fun with it, so I guess it was pretty, yeah. pretty decent, at least for my, you know, nine-year-old, eight-year-old mind. Um, Known in Japan as Teke Teke Asmic Kun World, there was a sequel, Asmic Kun World 2, now, never released outside I, Japan. Yes, the first I game. never played the second one, but if it was no. not released outside of Japan, that makes sense. The first game wasn't even released in Europe. Oh, thanks, wow. Leah, telling us all about this game. <laughs> well, course, there you go. Uh, you should look up, look up some uh, some Boomer's Adventure in Asmic World. Uh, he He's a pink dinosaur. That's <laughs> about all I got. <laughs> game Boy uh, has a small range of highly collectible uh, rare games. Chief among them is Trip World, a cute platformer from Sunsoft that was only released in Japan a handful of European countries. Mint copies can sell for as much as one thousand dollars. Mm, not wow. too shabby. So, what else? Uh, what other picks have you guys got that uh, that we're missing from our little rundown there? That that you have fond or strong memories of? Either way. Well, I only have two that we haven't already touched on that I that I really wanted to to mention. And one mm-hmm. of them, uh, we mentioned Yoshi's Cookie, but we didn't yes. mention Yoshi, which ah. is, I, I think that it was also on the NES, uh, but it's kind of a, um, like a stacking mm. puzzle game. You were supposed to make, like, you got, like, the bottoms of eggs, and you had, like, four platforms on the bottom, and things would mm. fall, and you were supposed to switch the platforms to make, uh, to either match the top and bottom halves of eggs or to yeah i'm sure uh, i've played this yeah 
and most was it on was it on Ness Remix or something I, like that? Maybe uh, that yeah. that sounds right. Uh, but yeah, I, I remember playing a lot of that. And the other one that I played a lot of, um, which is odd considering that my parents did not let me watch The Simpsons when I was this age, um, it was called uh, and and I had to look up the title: Bart Simpson's Escape from Camp deadly um yes. yeah, yeah which was a side-scrolling simpsons game um where you were apparently trying to escape from a really terrible camp Some so camp. um mm. yeah i remember mm. playing a lot of that one as well um and uh yeah i mean there, there were other things that i played but those are kind of the standouts for me those are mm. ones that i remember going back to a lot so mm. yes. yoshi was uh yeah of course yeah, the reason i know yoshi well at the moment is because it's on the switch's selection of nes famicom games currently ah, okay yes and it was actually by uh satoshi tajiri the pokemon man it was a game oh, freak okay. game so yeah well there you go james a th- quick count i think i've got six but i don't think i need to say anything about all of those so i'll pick out okay. a couple of kind of highlights yeah 11-year-old James was definitely into WWF as it was then wrestling, ah, so I definitely had WWF Superstars 2. Um, and he, was it was it good? I mean, did you, or, well, did you enjoy it, I suppose, is the important yeah, question. Again, looking at some video of it today, I, yeah, I, I should actually have realised how you can do a game like Street Fighter 2 on the Game Boy, because essentially what you do is take a beat-em-up-like Double Dragon with its two-button kind of contextual inputs, mm where it will mm-hmm. change the move depending upon which part of the combo or the distance that you're striking at, etc. And it's the same thing with WWF Superstars 2. It probably needed yeah. more um, inputs to get the depth of combat across. It didn't matter because you got to do flying elbows and all sorts of weird things. Um, but it, it plays like like that kind of sort of beat, beat-em-up game. Um, and it, I was all about wrestling, so the fact that it was a game that had wrestlers in it that I knew the names of and it gave some sort of really rudimentary sprite art that kind of looked like them. I was sold on that. Mm. That was grand. Um, a couple of ocean games. Um, yeah. Super Hunchback. Uh, oh, I, okay. Yeah the, yeah, the Game Boy version spikes everywhere in that game. But I remember the obviously the, the main character is the, the Hunchback. Quasimodo. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly that. Um, of Notre Dame fame. Um, and yeah, it's literally a platformer where you run around co- collecting fruit and ringing yep. bells and collecting diamonds and bells, which basically means it's a fruit machine, but as a platformer. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it was it had warp zones with like bonus levels in it that were sometimes quite easy, straightforward things where you just had mm. to collect pieces of fruit and then warp back out. Um, and uh, had underwater sections with swimming where you had to avoid spikes on the bottom of the ocean bed or the um, uh, the bottom of the whatever lake or whatever you were in. Um, and yeah, I, I really liked that. There was loads going on, you know, uh, even though you were just sort of running around the forest, it was good fun. It was kind of like each time you completed a section, you rung a bell and that checkpointed and it kind of moved you on and it was a bit repetitive in that way, but it was mm. it was good fun. Yeah, I, I remember enjoying it. Um, one more. Yeah. Uh, so the one more, um, <laughs> that I need to pick probably is a game that I know I've mentioned to you before that I yeah. I swear I imagine nobody has ever heard of, but it's not that obscure. <laughs> it's called uh, Bure Fighter Deluxe. I think it's Bure B U R A I Fighter Deluxe. Burai. Uh, yeah, or, or yeah, I guess Burai. 
Um, so it was a NES game originally, um, and the deluxe version came to the Game Boy by Taxan, I think is the, the company that produced it. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, it's okay. a 2D uh, scrolling shmup. It generally scrolled left to right, but occasionally changed direction as well, or went back on yeah. itself and stuff, kind of kept you on your toes. Um, I Yeah, I played this so much. You essentially look <laughs> like Master Chief in a jetpack, um, <laughs> nice. and... You're, it's not like bullet hell or anything. Subgenre of flying man, shoot him up. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, whether it was the gun or the man that flew, who knows? Um, who knows? But yeah, you're trying to take down seven different planets that are bases um, that produce half robot, half animal. It's trash nonsense. The story, I, I, well, that's not fair. I didn't care a jot about the story. Uh, it wasn't <laughs> why I was there. It was just I'm a spaceman shooting things. Shoot it was up. so good, yeah. Um, and there were little little uh, um, upgrades all over the place. You could choose. They sort of rotated around which weapon they upgraded, um, and you sort of therefore wanted to try and stick to the the weapon that was of your choice that you wanted to upgrade. Which for me was always the ring shot. Um, you could, so you would always shoot initially in the direction you were facing, but then if you held the shoot button down, you could then change your direction and it would keep yeah. shooting in that that way. So that's the normal way. Yeah, of yeah. Which twin sticks which to a, me was just revelatory because it's not the yeah. sort of thing you pick up on when you first start playing the game. But once I realised, I was like, wow, I'm like a superhero now. I can do this. <laughs> um, yeah, it had like secret rooms. You'd notice gaps in the edge of the screen and kind of pushed down into them, but the screen was still scrolling, so you had to be... Some of them were really tight, whether you could get in there and back out in time. Um, I remember it being quite difficult. It probably wasn't. Uh, and looking at it today, this is the one that I said, next to this R-Type looks really fast, because uh, mm. this is this is pretty slow uh, going. And I, Did you know, though, mm. that Space Marauder, it was renamed and, and oh, made right. its way to Game Boy Color? I did not know that. No. There you go. Mm. So there's a yeah, there's a it's effectively a full blown, full blown plot, full blown port in color. Yeah, uh, no, didn't know, but yeah, that was that was my kind of diamond in the rough of the of the Game Boy uh, library that I felt like I was the only person who knew anything about, which obviously I wasn't, but it's one well, that not many people. Have played I'd, I'd say it's a deep cut. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know much about it. Cool. Probably Good should stuff. have played R-Type, but I didn't. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Suits uh, Return says, another very vivid memory is the first time I played Mystic Quest Final Fantasy Adventure or Seiken Densets uh, on it, which I borrowed from the girl next door who said she didn't like it and uh, that, she, that I could just have a quick go of it. Something that looking back at now is quite a profound part, uh, quite profound for a pair of 10 year olds. Uh, I'd named the characters Nick and Sean, my 10 year old girlfriend at the time, and fell deeper in love with a console and a genre than I ever had before. I even remember the place I was when it all clicked for me, sitting at the top, but one step on my stairs in my house, leaning onto the landing with my Game Boy in hand and the landing light above me. Age, console and application all just suddenly clicked for me. Then there are some other success stories that I played and loved on the Game Boy. Revenge of the Gator, DuckTales, Super Mario Land, Super Mario Land 2, Zelda and Super RC Pro-Am, to name but a few that stick out to me. Not all games were always so successful, however. One Christmas, I asked for Nigel Mansell's World Championship, which at the time was a big upcoming title, albeit not on the Game Boy. That awfully prickly feeling of dread when you suddenly realise after five minutes that the game you'd asked for and would ultimately be playing for the next six months 
is bad. The Mortal Kombat port held a similar fate for me. <laughs> guys, guys, who's Nigel Mansell? He's an Amer- uh, American. He's a British uh, Formula former one world champion driver, yeah. Formula One yeah. racing driver. Oh, yeah. okay. Thank you. So like IndyCar, but gotcha, the international gotcha. one. Yeah. <laughs> it says world championship, but it didn't say what sports. What, oh, yeah, uh, what yeah. Is, yeah, no. In in yeah, Britain also, at the time, you would absolutely have known who he was. And he was a very dull man. A game, a <laughs> game with his face slapped on the front of it would have. It was a very middling very game. Understood. He actually went. He went off to America to try IndyCar, I believe, and then when he came back, he was so overweight he couldn't fit into his racing car. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, in 1993, cosmonaut Alexander A. Serebrov took his Game Boy along on the Soyuz TM-17 space mission to the Mir station. The console orbited the Earth 3,000 times before safely returning with its owner. The machine, Game Boy, was later handed in an, uh, included in an auction of space travel memorabilia held at Bonhams in New York, along with a note from Serebrov which explained... Like all cosmonauts, I won't do the accent, I love sport. My particular favourites are football and swimming. During flight, in rare minutes of leisure, I enjoyed playing Game Boy. It sold for $1,220. And in 2009, the Game Boy, the original Game Boy, was inducted into the National Toy Hall of Fame 20 years after its launch. Uh, Musical legacy, worth a quick mention. Obviously, we have our sister podcast, Sound of Play. Sometimes we play modern orchestral tracks and sometimes we play chippy tunes. And the Game Boy is a favourite instrument of chiptune artists who use vintage games hardware to create electronic music. By plugging in bootleg sequencer cartridges like a nano loop, musicians are able to tease an array of weird sounds from the hardware. Artists such as Pixel Hate, Null Sleep and Micro Orchestra have produced amazing tracks and live multimedia performances, often from hacked Game Boy units. Mm -hmm. Thanks again to uh, Keith in The Guardian. Uh, Rob from the forum says, I was six when we got our Game Boy. It was the first games console I ever owned, a recurring theme, albeit jointly with two older brothers. I was so young that my memory is hazy on some of the details, but my experience with the console was undoubtedly formative and set me on a path of lifelong games playing. I remember that even the box it came in felt impossibly futuristic. Arthur C. Clarke's famous third law that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic was certainly true for my six-year-old eyes. It wasn't just a games console. We could take it and play it anywhere. Mm. That's how I feel about the Switch now. (laughs) Uh, Much of my time with the machine was spent in the back of my parents' car, sandwiched uncomfortably in the middle seat between those two bigger brothers. We might have been competing for the best score on Tetris or passing it between us with each completed level or lost life in Super Mario Land or trying to figure out exactly where it was you were supposed to go in Gargoyle's Quest. Whatever we were playing, waiting my turn was always excruciating and I'm sure I still harbour some deep-seated resentment against my (laughs) two brothers for all the times I was told that go didn't count when they never allowed me any such leeway. Of course, it's all about the games. The ubiquitous packing title, now almost 30 years old, is still, for me at least, the most convincing contender for the title of greatest video game ever made. Everyone rightly hails the world-famous hypnotic single player, but the Game Boy version also gave us one of the purest, most ruthless and exciting games you can play with too as well. Hurrah for the link cable, which, in an outbreak of generosity, Nintendo is not usually known for, was smartly included with every console. It was a decision that must have enabled thousands, probably millions of playground and coach-based Tetris battles that otherwise would never have happened. 
I remember the Christmas I got given Link's Awakening alongside a third-party clip-on magnifier and light for the screen. Now we really could play our beloved Game Boy anywhere. Except, of course, that the light reflected on the screen unless you held the console at a totally unnatural angle, so it quickly became clear that it was very rarely worth using. But hey, Link's Awakening. What a beautiful hallucination of a game that was. It felt miraculous that something so ambitious that did such a good job of replicating the aesthetic of the Super Nintendo game could exist on what was already by that time considered a somewhat underpowered machine. Yet, the Game Boy endured, seeing off challenges from the Game Gear, the Lynx, the Barcode Battler, and <laughs> scores of others now consigned to the history uh, and relative obscurity. The glue behind the grey panel that supports the screen gave up on ours years ago, but the machine remains functional, if fragile, to this day. I could ramble on for thousands of words with half-remembered reminiscences, but I just want to give a shout-out to a few other highlights. The smartly designed pinballer, Revenge of the Gator, which had so much more depth than first appearances suggested and was perfect for pass and play. The wow, this almost has actual speech in it, arcade thrills of Gauntlet 2, even if we sadly never found anyone else who owned the game to play with it uh, multiplayer. The weird nerfed fireballs of Super Mario Land, a rival to Super Mario Bros. 2 for the least Mario-like Mario game, but still immensely playable today. Golf, bizarrely not called Mario Golf, even though it had Mario on the cover of the box. He was in the game, and that's what everybody called it. It was tough as nails, but totally fair. Every fluffed shot was your own fault. The surely illegal but totally envy-inducing 20-in-one-cart <laughs> my buddy Chris had, which had a surprisingly playable version of Contra 3 on it. He still hasn't told me where he got it from. And finally, of course, all the long car trips and summer holidays that flew by thanks to this magic little grey box. The Game Boy will, of course, always have a special place in my heart for being my first game's console, and crucially, having the quality to ensure it wouldn't be my last. I might not pick it up very often these days, but it is intimately bound up in so many of my fondest childhood memories, and I have no doubt my machine-hogging brothers would say the same. <laughs> Lovely post. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, everybody. As always, yes, mem um, memories there uh, dredged up of people coming back from holidays to places like Greece, Turkey, with uh, with 20 or 50 or 100 in one mm. Game Boy cartridges <laughs> full of utter crap pirated. <laughs> Uh, unofficial semi-legal nonsense well not even semi-legal um, possibly in the country of origin mm. and uh, yeah the Mario or well, the Mario the non-Mario golf game yeah that was one of the games I did have for my pocket as well uh, it was indeed brutally brutally difficult for a friendly Nintendo golf game <laughs> uh, so let us summarise a console so it's hard to do it's not a case really of recommending whether we say you go out and buy one now, collectors will. <laughs> mm -hmm. People who don't collect uh, won't. Um, but as always, I suppose, for me, as I say, I don't necessarily have the same level of fondness and nostalgia that our contributors have had and, and panellists, Leah and James, because of the age I was when it came out and because of the other things that I was coveting at the time. And I do think that still to this day, the black and whiteness is unappealing to me, I'm afraid. It has to be said, like, it is a problem in terms of me enjoying the games that are on the Game Boy to an extent. However, you can't deny that library or the console's significance to where we are now. The, the leap that it made, even though, as we learned earlier, it wasn't the first handheld console with changeable games, 
it was the one that popularized them and made it into a thing that obviously Nintendo mainly, but also Sony to an extent, and one or two others have followed up on. And now here we are with the Switch, which is, to all intents and purposes, the absolute natural successor to having a Game Boy and a Super Game Boy um, <laughs> at the same time. Uh, only the games now look absolutely extraordinary, even though it's a another, quote, underpowered console. Uh, so yes, I would, as always, seek out some of the highlights of the the library if you've never caught up with those mario games for example you consider yourself a mario fan i think me and you should together at some point play along with those extra mario and wario games for the show and a few of those other little gems and uh, curios from what is a uh, yeah obviously a stellar library it's hard to play them all in their original format i guess but we have virtual console we have emulators and um, there's obviously a lot of delights to be sought out and you can probably even play them i guess some of those black and white games as if you were playing them on a color or a super game boy via emulation and at least put a little blush in their cheeks so maybe that's worth doing as well james clearly the console is uh, is a meaningful one for you and heavily tied oh, to yeah. um, nostalgia more than ever getting ready for this show um, reminded me that the nintendo game boy is every bit as important to me as my Super Nintendo was. Um, I had uh, sort of uh, home computers uh, before that, but yeah, those were more just... I, I had no agency over what I was playing or why I was playing those. They were marvels, but the Game Boy and the Super Nintendo were where I really cut my um, gaming personality out. I sort of... Uh, started making decisions not always the best decisions not always informed decisions about what i was going to play uh mm. on it and what i was going to ask for for christmas or birthday or or save up money to to buy or whatever um but yeah some of my absolute fondest gaming memories um and, and many of them about the console itself it, it wasn't necessarily just about the games the the uh, feeling of playing it, um, the the little clicky power switch that doubled as a way to sort of lock the game cartridge in. That's just cool design. I, I defy anyone to tell me otherwise, even though it's so um, rudimentary. Um, and the fact that, you know, we spoke about who played games on the Game Boy. Uh, in my uh, household, it was never... Uh, it was more likely than my brother or sister to be asking. My mum would play Tetris, and she was absolutely one of those who could have glued Tetris into a Game Boy and just played that forever. Yeah. To the point where yeah. when she noticed I'd stopped playing with it so much, she asked if she could just let sit it next to where she sat in her lounge. And if she had yeah. five minutes, she would sit and play Tetris. That's why... I know my Game Boy is still at my parents' house because she still has it. Um, <laughs> she doesn't play it now. She's got a, a, a DS of her own and she, she plays games on her on her tablet now. But mm -hmm. I know it's there because long after I stopped playing the Game Boy, my mum kept playing Tetris. Uh, and who can blame her? It, this conversation and getting ready for this podcast has me wanting to go out and find some way of getting hold of not necessarily the original Game Boy, but whatever the best way I can find of playing um game boy hardware is these days um and yeah i get that there's virtual console options but as i as i've said the hardware itself was part of the experience in every bit as mu as much of a way as any other 
gaming hardware or controller uh is um for me yeah i i can't say more than that it's absolutely part of my gaming dna um limitations and kind of quirks and all um i think it's a, an absolute marvel um and couldn't be happier that that's kind of where my console gaming started lovely let's finish with leah i don't think i would be here without the game boy and by here i don't mean yeah. necessarily on this specific show um because this is a game boy show and without the game boy this show wouldn't be on you know what i mean but um on on Kanan Rin specifically, yeah. uh, I don't I don't think I would have gotten. I I mean, video games are kind of just what I do now. I I don't watch a ton of TV. I don't. I mean, I read a lot, but uh, you know, I don't. I I feel like what I do, a, being a a person who plays video games, is a really big part of who I am and I don't think that I would have gotten to this point without having received a Game Boy at such a young age because it had the ability to draw me in so much and take up so much of my time when when I needed to you know like on car rides or when I was in a waiting room or you know after school after I'd finished homework and you know I was waiting on something I it, it was just there were so many times that this could kind of just fit in uh and you know not be bothering somebody else or not be taking up anybody else's space or time or whatever it was just something that was kind of me and the game and I it it just it was so important to me at that age and at such a you know kind of a pivotal age I I guess you would say um mm. that even though you know there were gaps kind of uh, as I, I got to the point where I was buying my own consoles which is really when I guess things kind of uh stuck but um yeah I I, I don't think that that would have happened if my parents hadn't done that for me so even though now they don't necessarily understand video games they uh, even still they really don't get it but <laughs> but they they appreciate you know they 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 have a basic idea of what it is that I do and why I do it and they appreciate that and that's enough you know for me to uh to kind of just have them uh accepting of that and I yeah. I don't um I, I don't know how far I would have gotten without it, but I'm really grateful that I had so many kind of cool memories of things that I played on that. And um, yeah, I'm going to go look and see if I think I know where my, my <laughs> not my Game Boy, but my my backup no Game Boy, yeah. the one that I purchased. It has somebody else's name written on it. And I can't, I was, I've been trying to think of it because I can't remember whose it is. I think it's Donnie. I think Donnie <laughs> is written on my Game Boy, but um, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think I there there are a couple of games even just going through kind of the list that we did there are a few things that even now I think will probably hold up and I would like to try them again mm. uh just to see so uh, yeah I I think it's fair to say that uh that the original Game Boy was very very important to me and uh, I will always be grateful to it for what it has done that's uh this reminded me late in the day of one of the things that I was going to come back to that I forgot which was uh, we got sidetracked the <clears throat> the color of the outer shell and uh, the combination of uh, sweaty, sweaty khaki hands, tiny sweaty hands. Yes, I'm. And or in the case of uh, in the case of uh, my friend Andy's, uh, chain smoking. Oh, and, yeah, uh, I'm sure so, some of them yellowed quite a bit. Yeah. So the the, the game, uh, I think when you first bought them, they were just 
off-white, greyish. Yeah, they're grey. Yeah, grey. Grey, I would yeah. say, yeah. But actually, after a while, they kind of go pub ceiling yellow, <laughs> if depending on how well you look after yeah. them. Uh, so, yeah, restore those Game Boys. I'd love to see a, a minty, crisp, you know, as, it, as new looking one now. That would be quite... That would be quite cool. They're normally a bit grubby when you find them in shops. Oh, sure. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, that's been a lot of fun. It remains for me, Leon, to thank James and Leah, as well as all our correspondents for their memories and reminiscences. And to all of you for listening, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to Cana Rinse, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Best of all, patreon.com slash Rinse. If you're already paying into the Patreon, you're hearing this in early 2019. If you're hearing this in April or beyond 2019, there's already another one of these shows. All you need to do is slip us a dollar a month via patreon.com slash and you can, you can immediately dive into our next console special. Does that sound like a plan? I think so. And so, we can tell you that next time, hard drive equipped and online enabled in 2001, Microsoft's Direct Xbox would change what gamers expected their console to be able to do forever.